Welcome to episode 60 of The Journey is the Reward. The opening and closing music is performed by the Modelizio Youth Choir. I'm Brian Coleman, and I've been a frequent flyer for a large portion of my life. As a result of traveling around the world, I've flown over 5 million miles. 3 million of those miles have been with United Airlines as a member of their Mileage Plus program. This has earned me premier 1K status for life. Will I get to be a lifetime global services member after flying 4 million miles? Probably not. However, with my co-host, we'll discuss my continuing adventures, the passenger experience, conversations with subject matter experts, and who knows what all else. The goal is to document the journey as it is the reward, so let's get started. Hey, Micah, we have one of those, I think, subject matter experts on the show today. Well, I can't say for sure that he's a subject matter expert, but he is one of the best podcasters out there with perhaps one of my two absolute favorite aviation podcasts an incredible pilot, and an all-around nice guy that I'm really happy to be able to call my friend because I've known him for a long time. And we finally got him on the show. It's Captain Jeff from the Airline Pilot Guy, the Airline Pilot Guy himself. Hello there. Uh, so happy and honored to be a guest on your show. And subject matter expert, uh, I think Micah knows me pretty well. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that, but he's a half-decent podcaster in his own right. So thank you for that, Micah. And Captain Jeff, as I like to say, as long as you say the answer with conviction, people will believe you. So just sound confident with everything you say today, and it'll be fine. That's basically the way I run my life. I, I just do, say it like you like I mean it, like you know what you're talking about. Now, because the Airline Pilot Guy show normally goes for three hours, I'm going to try my best to keep it under three hours. So what we're going to do is cut the normal listener feedback that we have and the question from listener Lou. We'll keep that till the next show. However, we do have a correction from last show. Micah, do you want to tell the listeners about the correction? Yeah, we had kind of a problem on the last show, and it was right at the very end with the song, because we thought we were going to play a hidden gem Tom Petty song, Bust to Tampa, and we introduced it, and I was all ready for our listeners to hear it, because I, even big Tom Petty fans may not know about this song, but instead... I screwed up. Well, it happens. But instead, we played another great song, an old blues song from over 100 years ago. We played Blind Blake and Tampa Bound. Another terrific song, but it certainly wasn't Tom Petty. It was a DJ nightmare, and we just want to correct it. If you go back and you say, gee, that doesn't sound like Tom Petty, well, it wasn't. It was actually, come to think of it now, uh, his great-great-grandfather, I believe. Line Blake. That's him. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into talking with Captain Jeff. So first of all, Captain Jeff, yeah, want to wish you Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and all around season's greetings to you. And did you make a New Year's resolution this year? And if so, can you share it? Well, yes, I did. I made a resolution that I would never be a guest on anybody else's podcast, and I've already blown it. <laughs> <laughs> so the beginning of the year, you're off to a good start. Well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like to get I like uh, what uh, mess up my uh, what do you what do you call it again? The uh, New Year's um, resolution. I'd like to get that resolution error or you just out of the way right away so that the rest of the year I don't have to think about it. OK, good. Well, glad we could help out. You're welcome. Well, not only are you our guest, though, bear in mind, you're our guest on episode 60, which is 
kind of a monumental number for us. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. And you're our first guest for 2024. Ooh, nice. The first year of my retirement. I was going to say, your first official guest is on a podcast since you retired. Yep, that is true. What's it like being a retired gentleman? I love it. I love not having to get up, uh, set the alarm at 2.30, 3.30 in the morning. And now, you know, I, I kind of do, do that to myself purposely because I do enjoy or do like to fly earlier in the day for, for several reasons. But uh, I, now I don't have to worry about it. And it's funny. I was telling somebody the other day, I, you know, a routine, a tradition, uh, whatever, I automatically, first thing I, I do when I get up is you know, either look at my iPhone or my computer and I have all these, you know, bookmarked weather uh, sources and look at the weather systems and I project out, okay, where, where am I going to be flying and what the, what the weather is going to be like there. And now I don't even think about it. I just like, oh, oh it looks like it's going to be a sunny day or I'm wondering if I should have an umbrella with me today. That kind of, that's you know, like a, like a regular normal person. You're not checking out your iPhone to see if you're picking up a trip? No, not at all. No. no. It's so nice. And then uh, I'm, I'm sleeping routinely uh, probably in like 8 o'clock in the morning would be about as early as I get up anymore, except they're on, on Sunday mornings. I, I get up a little bit earlier. But every, every other day, it's just like, oh, I'll just get up whenever I get up. Now, on the Airline Pilot Guy show, you always mm -hmm. refer to your airline as Acme. Oh. Now that you're retired. Can you mention who the real airline is I or is it going can. to be Acme forever? No, I, it's not going to be Acme forever. And in fact, I've made, I've slipped up a few times, several times in my, in my 14 years of podcasting, but, uh, I, I'm looking around to see if I have anything that has the logo on it and I don't. I, well, this is an audio podcast, so that doesn't help much. Oh, that's true. Okay. Well, I can, I can tell everybody now officially, and I think. 99.9% .9 of the people kind of understood when I said Acme Airlines that I was flying the MD-88, the Boeing 717, the Lockheed uh, TriStar L-1011 based in Atlanta, Georgia for a major U.S. legacy airline. If you put any of those in a Google search, you'll see uh, several, uh, probably first two, three pages or more, Delta Airlines. So that's, that's the company that I've been flying with for oh, 30, really? well, just over 35 years. Wow. You knew that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, like you said, everybody knew that, but it was an open secret. I think the only people that didn't know that was probably Delta Airlines. Yeah. So when I started podcasting back in 2009 and I wanted to do an aviation-ish related show, um, I started uh, under the umbrella of a Catholic podcasting network. So the original aviation podcast that I did was called Catholic Pilot. And, uh, but I knew... Somehow, I just knew that uh, I should just do the podcast, not mention the airline for which I fly, and uh, just kind of fly below the radar. And if anybody ever brought me into the chief pilot office to say, what are you doing? What, you know, nobody gave you permission to do the show. I'd say, oop, sorry, you know, uh, ask for forgiveness. But I had a feeling that... If I were to go in and try to explain, now you remember back in 2009, I'm mean, even today, I mean, some people still go podcast. Most people know what a podcast is nowadays, but back in 2009, podcasting, people would go, huh? you know, kind of little drool would come out of the side of their mouth. 
And uh, so you'd have to try to explain, you know, oh, it's like, you know, uh, TiVo for for like a radio sort of like delay. I don't know. It was, it was, it was difficult right. to explain. I would say it's like listening to talk radio, except you can listen to it anytime you want and you do it right. on your computer. Exactly. And, and you'd still get that look and that yeah. stare usually. Yeah. Uh, but so if I, tr- if I went in my chief pilot's office and tried to explain, you know, that, that what I was doing, um, I'd probably get, I don't know. They'd say, no, you can't, you can't do that. You know, that's, that would violate our media. Yeah. Need approval from the marketing department. Yeah. And it's, even now with, with what people understand what we're doing, uh, they still are hesitant at times to, you know, have you mention exactly the, the brand that you're representing, uh, even though you don't intend to represent it, you have to be careful. And I didn't want that to be something that I'd have to constantly think about. And now I, I would say, and I think that those of you who know me uh, would would know this, that I would never say anything negative about Delta Airlines because it's been it's just been an awesome career with them and an awesome company, an awesome family. Awesome is the key word here. And uh, I just, um, you know, it's not perfect, but in, in general, I would say that everything has just been a, a great experience for me and I would never knowingly say anything derogatory uh, about the company but you know that's easy to say to somebody uh, and you know they they would be they would probably find it hard to trust you that you would you know not say something that wasn't quite right so I didn't want to have that burden of responsibility representing a brand like Delta uh, so I decided hmm, I need to figure out what my alias airline will be and so I just started doing some thinking and looking up you know, to make sure I wasn't actually picking an airline that really exists somewhere in the world, because uh, I don't need any kind of lawsuit like that. And uh, I kept thinking back about that cartoon that we uh, probably all used to watch, uh, Roadrunner. You mean that violent, horrible cartoon that gives kids horrible images of what could happen to one another that isn't allowed to be shown anymore? With Wild E. Coyote? Really? Is that true? I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Oh, I hope that's not true. <laughs> and and if somebody's upset by what I said, the email address is I am really offended at <laughs> yahoo.com. <laughs> well, let me write that down. I'm going to be saying <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think I'm going to send in one for that because I loved Roadrunner. No, but yeah. the Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote and... and uh, well, the company that he was always using to uh, try to destroy the Roadrunner, uh, Acme. And I'm thinking, oh, I like that. That's kind of a, something you'll see out there in the world where people... Think of a generic company name, corporate name. And uh, so I think, why not? Why not Acme Airlines? So I did my little quick check and didn't see any at real Acme Airlines out there. So that's that's what I decided to go with. And and uh, I've cruised under the radar for 15 years now. And uh, I'm sure that there were people in the company that knew I was doing a podcast, but uh, they never contacted me or I, I was never brought into the chief pilot office desk. Uh, to to be asked why I said this or that or whatever. So, yeah, and Captain Jeff, we kind of have some experience with that. On episode forty nine of the Journey is the Reward, we had Captain Chris Dow from United Airlines, and for him to be on the show, they had a United representative listen in, and we had to agree, and it, it was no big deal for us to agree that if we asked a question that he didn't want to answer, or couldn't answer, or answered wrong, that we would cut it. And they were there to monitor that. And he, there was not one bit of the interview that was actually cut. Yeah. 
you know, he, I think, did a great job of representing the company, as I think any happy employee would. Yeah, there wasn't an issue, but it was fun dealing with the corporate structure to actually get him on the show. He wasn't doing something like like showing a, a sign that says, help me, help me. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and I think you just said pilot, but wasn't he uh, assistant chief pilot stationed in L.A. and uh, on, the yeah. trip, on the 777? I think so, yeah. Didn't I introduce him as assistant chief pilot, Captain Chris Dow? You did now. But, but pilot would suffice. That would do Because he is a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, you have a lot or have a lot of regular co-hosts that work for major airlines or work for major airlines. You've had a lot of guests on that work for major airlines. And there's really a whole Acme family of airlines. Do you remember any of the names of some of those? Yeah. Well, um, in fact, one of my co-hosts since uh, 2016, early in 2016, Captain Nick Anderson, um, he at that time was actively flying for Virgin Atlantic Airways. And uh, so we, uh, or maybe he came up with it, he, he called it Acme Red because red is a big part of their branding, uh, very bright red. And then since he retired in 2019, he, he has been able to actually use the real name of the airline, Virgin Atlantic. Uh, we have a cargo pilot now who um, is still actively flying, and they are flying, or he flies for Acme Giant. And then there's our good friend, uh, the 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 handsome Captain Jeff. Oh, yes, the good-looking Captain Jeff. <laughs> um, uh, flew for, well, he called it Ajax, I think. Um, so it wasn't Sometimes really Acme, Acme Blue, th- wasn't it? Or Acme Blue. Sometimes it was referred yeah. to that, but he liked, he liked to use Ajax for some reason. Speaking of that, it's funny because every once in a while, you know, you'd think it would be obvious the airline I'm flying for or was flying for, uh, but apparently not completely obvious to every single person because I got an email a couple of times that said, ah, I figured it out. I think I know who you fly for. American Airlines. <laughs> and, no, <laughs> so close. <laughs> I guess they're thinking because I used an A for Acme so that that somehow you know, was a clue, uh, to the real airline, but, uh, I said, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, they fly mad dogs, but they're not based in Atlanta and, uh, they don't fly the 88, they fly the 82, 83 model of the airplane. But anyway, I know it's, but most people go, yeah, we, we know who you're talking. And I've, I've, I've kind of giggled about this whole idea of Acme airlines and Acme red Acme giant, because I hear this on a lot of other aviation podcasts, they, they use the same kind of nomenclature to s- describe the airline that they're flying for, but they don't want to reveal the real name either. And I, I just, I, it just tickles me that people you started it. Yeah. I know it's like, well, that's crazy. Uh, but you started as Catholic pilot. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to start a podcast? I mean, weren't you busy enough with your family and why this additional uh, burden in your life? I got started in the whole world of podcasting uh, as a listener, like, you know, everybody that's listening here right now. And I was just, I just loved this whole idea of of this new media podcasting. And I, um, and I've always been into technology and gadgets and I've always really secretly thought, man, it'd be so cool to be a, like a disc jockey or a, you know, a radio personality or something like that. I, I just always been into radio broadcasting and, and listening uh, to radio broadcasting and all that stuff and uh, all the technology involved in it. 
And uh, so when I stumbled upon podcasting, started listening to podcasts, I got involved with a, an organization in its infancy. Uh, it was established basically in 2004, 2005, Catholic Podcasting Network called the StarQuest Production. No, StarQuest Podcasting Network later changed to StarQuest Production Network because we started doing more than just audio podcasting. So because of my involvement in that organization early on, I was around fellow podcasters and uh, I, I became intimately involved with the organization on the board of directors for many years, just watching some of these folks, you know, doing the things they were doing, making their podcast, look at all the stuff they were doing on the computer with uh, uh, digital audio workstations, you know, it's the software we use to, to do the editing of the show and, and all the social media stuff, although that, eh, I'm not all, all into that as much as they were, but, uh, but really the thing that I just loved was the microphones and the mixers, all the hardware, all the technology, all the gadgets. And I thought, dang, I'd really like to play with this stuff, you know, because I don't have any toys anymore. And uh, this looks like it'd be a lot of fun. So after about, uh, I guess, probably four or five years of involvement with the organization, I decided I'd throw up this idea, this crazy idea that I would uh, start my own podcast. And I knew it had to have something to do with Catholicism because it was a Catholic network. And uh, all the shows were like Catholic in a small town, Catholic history, Catholic, all these, you know, obviously had to be something to do with Catholicism. And uh, so I thought, well, the only thing I really know anything about is flying airplanes. Yeah, that's all I've been doing with my life. So I'm going to call it Catholic Pilot. And basically the concept was living your faith in your work environment. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all surprisingly said, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. And I went, oh, really? Okay. And at this, about the same time, I, was, I also kind of pitched an idea for the podcasters in the network, not me, because I, I didn't have a podcast. The idea of like a community podcast where we'd bring in like it would be a panel style show and you'd bring in uh, maybe three or four podcasters that have shows on the network to come in um, on a Saturday morning. For an hour, we kind of arranged it so it was kind of in a radio format, a broadcasting format. Micah, you know, you know the fifteen-minute soft break, thirty-minute hard break, that kind of thing. So that if a Catholic radio station wanted to pick up the show, they could. It was already pretty much formatted in that manner. So I, I kind of pitched that idea to uh, Father Roderick, who is the uh, CEO of the organization, and he goes, "Yeah, I've been thinking about kind of doing the same thing." He said, "I think you should do that, Jeff." And I went, "No." What? No, I I don't mean me do it. I mean somebody in our and they goes, No, I think you'd be good at that. You should do that. And I went, oh, okay. So about the same time I started the aviation podcast, Catholic Pilot, I also started uh, Catholic Weekend, uh, which was that panel show that we did every Saturday morning. So you know what that was a lot of fun. Had a good time. And that's really what kind of introduced me to the concept of uh, working with a panel of hosts. But for some reason on my aviation show, it was just solo, just me for, well, until 2015, 2015. When yeah, was I, it the first 50 shows or 75? It or? was, I think the first, um, it was just, it was under 50, maybe 40. Okay. I think the last Catholic pilot that I did was 44, but the actual last Catholic pilot that I did before I rebranded it, I think was around 40, 41, something like that in the forties. Well, I got a two part question for you about yeah. what, what you're just saying. I mean, when I, I discovered you through the airplane geeks, 
because I was listening to the Airplane Geeks regularly. You ended up being a guest. And then. And that's all my fault. Yeah, I actually got Captain Jeff on the show because I was a Thank listener you. to Catholic Pilot and I started probably episode five. Oh, wow. I didn't realize you've been listening for that long, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, absolutely. gosh. And then I went back and I actually listened to the first five or, you know, first four episodes. So I got all caught up when it was easy to do before they turned into three hour marathons. Anyway, you, Micah, you guys were, are, are, are you're, you guys are podcasters and you know the cringe worthiness of going back to the first couple of productions. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, you kind of go, Ooh, oh, wow. That's, oh. Including this to. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our first 60 have been horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, 59, Micah, the, the 60s is going to be great. <laughs> oh, okay. this is going to be, whoo, you broke out of it. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> When I first started listening to you, you were solo, but then the airline pilot guy grew and you have a crew of thousands. Well, not quite thousands, well, but sometimes you, it feels you, like it. You have an incredible crew. So many, in fact, that they all have busy schedules. They're not always all there with you. Although sometimes when that happens, that's just amazing. How did the crew grow? Uh, who's with you and, and, and how did they come about? Let's talk about the show because you have a real podcast. You're not like ours, you know, let's, let's talk about ours for now. You guys have a great, a real podcast. Come on. We have five listeners. That's my brother and my friend, Eric. <laughs> we we can mother. name them all. Yeah. That, that's Brian's <laughs> mother and her friend, Linda. And then Grant McCarran, for some reason, he tunes in from down in Australia, you know, but we know every one of our listeners. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, you have as many podcasters with you as we have listeners. How, how did they come about? Okay. Well, uh, and I get this question quite a bit. And they said, how did you plan for a, like all these uh, additions to your show? And I said, well, that's where the whole premise of that question is wrong because I never planned for any of it, actually. I just, uh, it just kind of evolved into what it's become based on just experiential living. Uh, I received some feedback from a young lady in uh, the Charlotte, North Carolina lady in an uh, area. I think that she was actually living in Charlotte at the time. She still lives in the Charlotte area. And uh, she called herself, well, I'm not even sure she called herself Dr. Steph at the time. She probably just went by Stephanie and told me that she was a doctor. She, so occasionally I would talk about things other than aviation on my show, like beer. I mean, anybody that's listened to the show understands that I just love beer. I don't have a beer right now. I wish I did. I'm trying to cut down. Everybody who listens to our show wishes they had a beer when they were listening. So <laughs> yeah, we get it. For sure. It, it makes it much easier to listen to. That's for sure. And so I would talk about the fact that I love IPAs and, you know, talk about some of the beers that I've had and all that kind of stuff. And she wrote in and said, Hey, um, I'm a, I think at the time, uh, she may have been a commercial pilot or a private pilot at least, but working on her commercial, working on her multi-engine, I think, uh, pretty early on in her, um, piloting education. And, uh, but she's a doctor and, uh, she lived in the area, Charlotte area. And she also loved beer, shared my same, the same love for IPAs. And she says, you know, I hear you talking about IPAs. She said, North Carolina is a, is a great place for beer. Um, so if you ever have a long enough layover, give me a call, I'll come by, pick you up, take you to a couple of the things that we have to offer here in uh, the Charlotte area. And I went, Oh, okay. That sounds like fun. Captain Jeff, now that you're mm -hmm. retired, the long enough layover, that's two hours to get a beer or two, right? 
Well, 30 minutes, I think, or is it, is it <laughs> 50 feet? I always get these confused. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. I, I, I took her up on her offer. Uh, next time I was in Charlotte on a long layover and most of my layovers are, are longer layovers because I'm, I was senior enough at the time that I could, I could bid trips for, uh, you know, decent, uh, length layovers. And, uh, so she comes by in her Jeep, of course, with the doors off, this is a much older Jeep than she has now. Uh, and, but she still takes the doors off all her Jeeps, whether they're brand new or, you know, older. Uh, had a big giant dog. I can't remember his Milo or something like that. I can't remember exactly the name. Anyway, sorry, Steph, if you're listening. Uh, but a, just a big, huge dog in the back of this Jeep. She goes, come on in. Let's go. You know, okay. <laughs> so we had some great North Carolina beers. And then uh, I think maybe a, a few weeks later, or maybe a month later, I did the same thing and said, hey, you know, I'm going to be in Charlotte. Let's, you know, drink some more beer, blah, blah, blah. Did that two or three times. And then I had a layover where I was going to get in pretty early in the morning, had a very long layover. And, I'm, and I thought this is a perfect time for me to do my show recording. Again, it's just me. I said, are you, are you available at all? Maybe you'd like to be my co-pilot. And uh, she said, yeah, let me, look at, let me look at my schedule. I might be able to swing by. And in hindsight, I'm thinking, okay, this young lady, she's definitely um, young enough to be my daughter. Yeah, younger than us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And and let me just say, because, you know, we, we, Brian and I are both fortunate to, to know Dr. Steph. She's this amazing woman that you immediately, it doesn't matter how old you are, you fall in love with her. You know, mm-hmm. she, she's just a, a fabulous person, incredibly sweet, incredibly beautiful, incredibly talented. And here you are, you know, that you're on your own, an old man like us. And, and a beer drinking pilot to boot. Mm-hmm. And, and you're inviting her to record a show with you. Now, where did you do the recording? In my hotel room studio, of course. <laughs> oh, come and see my etchings. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing that was like cringeworthy now that I look back at it yeah. and thinking, oh, wow, you know, she really had a lot of, because, you know, it wasn't the first time that we had met each other in, in real life. Uh, so there was a certain amount of trust that was built up, obviously, uh, before then. But even even so, it's like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have invited her my to my hotel room to record a, an episode but that's exactly what we did and the audience loved it and uh didn't think a lot about it other than that was a lot of fun and then uh, about six weeks later um was in miami and i'd been doing several meetups down there uh and uh, one of the um participants was a guy named rick he, and uh, he would send in audio feedback and he would call himself miami rick because he lived in miami and at the time flying for another uh, freight airline, he said, hey, you know, and I'd planned a, meet- a meetup after I was going to record a show down there. And he said, hey, just let me know, you know, when you want me to come, you know, come by and pick you up. I'm off today and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, hey, would you like to, would you be interested in being on the show? Like what Steph did, you know, uh, six weeks ago. And he goes, oh, yeah. So I did one with, uh, with uh, Miami Rick. And again, it was, uh, it was uh, something that the audience really, really enjoyed. And then I'm thinking to myself at some point after these two things, maybe a few weeks later, hmm, why, why haven't I ever considered doing a panel kind of a show for the aviation podcast? Cause I'm already doing it with Catholic weekend. Uh, it wouldn't be that much more difficult for me to do, uh, for the aviation show. And so, uh, that's, that's what I did. I asked the, um, the two of them, 
okay. And I I fully expected them to say, are you nuts? You know, I don't have (laughs) time to devote every week to being on a show, especially your show that at that point was probably around a two hour mark or so. I don't know. As time went on, it it grew in, in duration. Yeah, I think it was still a little less than that. It was still it was still listenable at that point. Okay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now it's comp- well, even when it was a short show, it was it's really uh, barely listenable. And, and again, uh, if you are airline pilot guy fans, that email address is I am really offended at <laughs> yahoo.com because of the disparaging things we're saying about the podcast. Oh, I expect that from you guys. Um, so yeah, so uh, they and and surprisingly, both of them said yes, and I went really okay, kind of like the same response that I had when the people at the Starquest production network, you know, said, Oh, that sounds like a good idea for a podcast. Really? <laughs> okay. And, uh, so we, and, and I could go on and on for hours about how you know, the technology back then wasn't like it is now the ease of having a, an audio video kind of format show mm-hmm. and have your show on YouTube and that kind of thing is so much, uh, easier, uh, than it was back then. I was using Ustream and I could only put the camera on myself and I'd actually throw up pictures of, uh, Steph and Rick when they were talking, it was very clunky, very clunky. But uh, things started to improve, especially when Google came up with their Google Hangouts uh, on air, where I could actually, you know, invite people to listen to watch us record the show live. So, and that's what I use the um, the video for um, the, in the YouTube uh, broadcast. It's just basically, you know, the old what's the saying like, you know, the sausage being made. This is we're here to bring us all together to record an audio podcast. And uh, but if you want to hang out and you know see what we look like while we're doing it and hear all the all the bloopers and all the other things going on, all the technical difficulties, uh, then, you know, have at it. It's really grown into a, a, an amazing thing, though, as Micah can attest, uh, because Micah is usually uh, in our live audience when we record shows. And in fact, he's my sound technician. And he's always, he was always the guy that we go to uh, to get the, uh, the mic levels and, you know, how everything is sounding. What you're saying is I'm your pain in the side, although some people have a lower opinion of me. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you're a valuable pain in the side, Micah. We, uh, we, we like the fact that you're there and kind of keeping some QA for us on the sound. But let's describe Miami Rick for a minute because he's, yeah. you said technical. And speaking of technical, I mean, um, <laughs> Rick is a as a pilot. He flies the big airplanes cargo. But before he was a pilot, he was an AMP, and mm-hmm. he could take that. He could take a seven forty seven and break it down to the to pieces the size of your thumb and put it back together with just a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. He 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 knows his stuff, and he knows it off the top of his head. You ask him, he he is really detailed in terms of him being a pilot and detailed in terms of the mechanics and the operation of the aircraft. And he can go on and on and on in so much detail that's fascinating. But some people think that those details are, I don't know, boring, maybe put you to sleep. What not there something we call say when, when Rick starts answering a question? Ricket worthy? Uh, well, I used to, I don't know if you guys can hear my sound effects. No, uh, they're not coming oh, you through. Can't. Okay. Yeah, I have uh, a soundboard here and I was playing crickets. I heard them very, very clearly on my end. Um, and, uh, so I'm not sure exactly how it came about, but I, I think I must have saw the sound effect for crickets and I'm thinking, oh, that'd be perfect to play after Rick has been going on and on and on about all these things. And then, uh, the, the audience started egging me on. I mean, just after maybe two or three sentences of Rick 
explaining some kind of a an incredibly detailed technical thing, the people in our in our live chat room would be saying crickets, Jeff, crickets. And so I played the and I, w- I was always reluctant to do that because I thought it was kind of rude. Uh, but then he kind of got used to the fact that we'd be pl- playing crickets uh, if he were going to be um, regaling us with uh, his knowledge. But uh, soon thereafter, uh, it became not crickets, but rickets, because Rick, you know. And uh, same thing with uh, his Wikipedic knowledge of aviation. Uh, he became the Rickopedia. Yeah, another amazing guy. But then you started getting emails and even audio emails from this old British curmudgeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, complaining about us Yanks and how we do everything wrong and he did it and boeing yeah and boeing he always an airbus guy you know and uh secretly he uh he 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 really wanted to fly the boeing 747 for virgin atlantic um unfortunately there wasn't um an opening for that at the time uh, nick's father um at at one time in his career had flown the 747 and uh so he ended up flying the airbus a330 and a340 for virgin and fell in love with the uh, with the airplane the the whole fleet and platform and uh so now he is like a hardcore airbus guy at least that's the way he portrays himself and uh but he he'd send in feedback like you know the complaining about the the american pilots on the frequency that's supposed to only be used for like serious in flight coordination between flights and that kind of stuff over the Atlantic, the North Atlantic tracks and that kind of thing. And I'm thinking to myself the whole time, Oh, back when I used to fly the tracks was when I was in the air force in the eighties. And this was some time ago back then the frequency one, two, three dot four, five was kind of like an, a, a, like a party line. You know, we used it to, talked about all kinds of stuff. Apparently uh, we Yanks are still doing that. And uh, it's, it's kind of upsetting to all the other pilots in the world who, uh, uh, treat it as something much more serious and professional. But uh, that's the sort of thing that he would write in. And, and it, he did it in a way that was very endearing and um, and very, uh, well, slightly tongue-in-cheek. But he, he became a character on the show. Uh, he called himself the old pilot or the old curmudgeon. And uh, when uh, we had the 200th episode uh, recording, live recording and party, in Miami, Florida, in January of 2016, he and a couple of other big aviation podcasters in the UK, uh, Pilot Pip and uh, Captain Al, the Plane Safety Podcast, uh, flew over for that 200th episode, which uh, was a complete surprise to me. Uh, Micah, do do you know anything about that? Were you uh, involved in any way? (laughs) I wasn't there, but I do recall something I wrote about it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you were there, uh, in, not physically, but in spirit for sure. So while we were all there drinking way more than we should, I and, and that's what I blame this on, I took um, Steph and Rick aside and said, what do you think about you know, this guy, Captain Nick, the old curmudgeon sending us in the, I said, you know, it seems like a lot of people love this character and, and uh, I think maybe he'd be a good addition to the full-time uh, hosting uh, lineup. And they both went, they didn't even hesitate. They went, oh no, absolutely not. No, they said, yeah, uh, he'd be great. And so uh, I was able to uh, take Captain Nick aside uh, while I was down there and said, would you be interested in becoming a full-time host on the, on the show? And he, I'd be honored. Of course, I can't do an uh, English accent, but uh, he has a very traditional, you know, deep traditional English accent, accented voice. That's how Captain Nick 
became part of the full-time thing. But none of these things were anything that I'm, I sat there, you know, one day writing down my business plan and what my future was going to be, you know, the five-year plan and all that kind of thing. I, I didn't, I never set to, you know, to do what it ended up becoming. It was just, I just wanted to play with my recorder and a microphone in my hotel room, pretend I was a radio broadcaster and, uh, and just play with the toys. And Captain Jeff, that's pretty much how your community came about as well, right? There yes. certainly wasn't any plan to have this no. dedicated, passionate audience that you have. Not at all. No, no plan whatsoever. Um, you know, part of, because podcasting is part of new media, although a lot of people would say, well, it's not so new anymore, but it's still, you know, in its infancy compared to technologies like radio broadcasting, television broadcasting, et cetera. And uh, part of this world of podcasting, if you're not doing other uh, new media things like social media, uh, then, you know, you're, you're not doing all the things you're supposed to do. And I, um, you know, through the show and through social media, and, and I think one of the things, and I, I've thought about this a lot because Micah, you've mentioned it several times in, in live uh, venues um, when we've gotten together, you know, podcasters from all all around the world, aviation podcasters, you know, the, about the community. And I, I always downplay it because it, was, it just, it happened to just evolve around some of the things that I was doing, but it, it was never intentional. And I, uh, it, it's, it's, it's hard for me to, to accept the fact that maybe I had a little bit to do with it. And I have, Liz tells me, just just suck it up, Jeff, and just say thank you. And <laughs> thank you for, <laughs> or you're welcome, or whatever it is she tells me to say. One of the things that I thought was important when I started the show was to, to be like a, almost like a virtual, um, there was a guy uh, that I learned a lot of podcasting from, his name Cliff Ravenscraft. He's a huge um, uh, guy in the very uh, early years of, of podcasting. And he had a show about podcasting and he, um, what was the point about him <laughs> that I'm thinking about? It's a good thing. You're going to be able to edit all this stuff. Uh-huh. <laughs> what? Uh, That's I hope, what you think. <laughs> I hope you're going to edit this. Oh my gosh. I mean, he did create a, a huge community and with his show as well, but, um, anyway, let me, let me start over in a, in a new way. And this is the train wreck of the airline pilot guy show. That is the train wreck of the airline <laughs> pilot guy show. Fortunately, I'm not usually this bad. Well, that's because you have Liz keeping you on track. Yeah, that's true. I, I keep waiting for Liz to like be <laughs> saying things to me. Like, let, 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 let me throw it to you another way. Okay. Yeah. All right. You know, I think something to do with the community or the way that it grows is that in general, I think the aviation community sort of comes together. There's always been hangar talk. And so we're doing aviation podcasts. And while there's certainly a community around um, the airplane geeks, you know, we have regular listeners, but we don't get together in terms of having that kind of friendly contact as much as 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 some others. And PTUK has a very strong community that follows them as well with a chat room. But I think the airline pilot guy started that. And you guys have probably the strongest community of any of the podcasts that certainly I've been in touch with and any that I can think of. Well, thank you, Micah. I, I, I'm very proud of that. And I, I knew from the very beginning when I started to do the podcast that I was going to be the kind of guy that people could 
uh, send in feedback to, uh, email feedback to ask questions. So being a pilot, especially an airline pilot, when we go to party, you know, cocktail parties or whatever, or any kind of a event where you have um, many people, when they find out that you're a pilot, they just start asking questions about mostly, you know, aviation related things or things that they've always wondered about, uh, you know, pilots and our lifestyle and layover questions and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sorry, what do you, what do you mean when they find out you're a pilot? Well, they'll find out usually pretty quickly because, uh, you know, how do you know when you're at a party and that guy over there is a pilot? He's going to tell you. He's going <laughs> to tell you. <laughs> That's so true, <laughs> sadly. Uh, and I'm guilty of that, too, I, I have to admit. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's hard work to, to get to where we are in, in our professional uh, flying world. Um so, you know, we, we were trying to, you know, trying to cash in on some of that. That's why I became Pasadena, Brian, because yeah. I also had those questions and you and I weren't at a party, but we were here at the podcast and I would send in questions under the exactly. name Pasadena, Brian, because I'm from Pasadena. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you're one of my earliest listeners on the show. So I, I felt it was an important part. Uh, I, and I listened to other podcasts at the time, aviation podcasts, not a heck of a lot of them out there. But none of them seem to be kind of like, you know, the answer man kind of format where you could send in questions and then get them answered uh, on the show. And I, I, now I remember while I, why I was thinking about Cliff Ravenscraft. He is a uh, podcaster. Podcast Answer Man was his podcast. And it was one of those things where, you know, that's the show was people sending in questions and he was teaching and, and uh, explaining things to people. And I, I kind of thought, yeah, I, I kind of want to be like the airline pilot answer man uh, kind of a show. And so from the very beginning, I, I tried to emphasize the uh, engagement, the involvement of the audience listening into the show and make that as much a part of the show as the part of the show when I was just doing soliloquy and talking about the news articles and that kind of thing. And, uh, and so that's the reason why, by the way, the show, when I started was what, about a 30 minute show, 40, yeah. 30, 45 minute show. The way this one started out to be as well. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're looking right now going, what in the heck is, are they doing? Why are they not finishing up the show? It's because they uh, made the mistake of inviting me on and I can just talk for hours and hours. Trust me. Anyway, so um, I I kind of prided myself on the fact that I was going to answer every piece of feedback that I received. And so as time goes on, the audience grows, I get more and more feedback. And I, and of course, the, the duration of the show continues to increase and until it got to a certain point where you know, we could, we could go for four or five hours uh, every week on a show with all the feedback. And I'm thinking, okay, three hours, that's going to be the cutoff. That's as much as anybody can stand, probably more than <laughs> a lot of people that can, can stand in a week. And not only that, but you all know when you're uh, podcasters and you have to do the post editing process, uh, the longer the show, the longer you're going to be involved in mm -hmm. doing the post editing. So I said, okay, that's it. Three hours. We're just going to stop it there. Now I would love to go back to two hours, two and a half hours, that range. I think it would be a nice little sweet spot. Um, I'm not sure that uh, Liz, my producer uh, who lives in Toronto quite grasps that yet. It's almost like she feels like we got to fill up a full three hours. I go, no, 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 no. 
I'm okay with doing a shorter show. In fact, sometimes it's exciting to me. <laughs> like, oh, right, we only did two hours and 15 minutes. Now I'm going to be able to, you know, knock out the post-editing process a lot more quickly and and do other things in my life. <laughs> yeah, and, and quite honestly, that's the reason why I don't participate in the live show is because I just don't have that three hours. So I'll listen to mm-hmm. the show after the fact Bits and do pieces. it at twice the speed. So ah. it's really funny when I'm at one of the live <laughs> events and you play your <laughs> intro music it sounds different and you all sound different because you're talking at your normal speed. Oh, here, well, maybe to- this will help. I'll start talking like this, Brian. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Speaking of, of, of show length and, and Brian, get ready to cut this. Maybe, uh, you know, we're about halfway through our questions. Maybe we should have, uh, do a two-parter show. Do, do You know, we'll, I, I got a couple other for this part. But- I was thinking it'd be hysterical just running this as a full-length three-hour show. Up to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the that's producer. Where we're headed right now. That's, that's that's what I learned my years on the radio. You're the producer. <laughs> <laughs> You're the boss. Whatever you say. All right. And Captain Jeff, because I think the first show that he wrote into was your show, and it was it's listener Shrinand. I'm actually I was supposed to uh, give him a call, but it was a tentative call. I said that I was recording with you, and it might run long. And he said, "Yes, I understand." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Let me get back to where we were before we go yeah. past it, because I, we got to do two things. Uh, okay. There was a couple of weeks, and I am, try to always be in the chat room, like you said. That's my favorite way to listen to the show, because frankly, I don't have time to put listen to it three hours later. But three hours while it's going on, I'll be in, I'll be out, I might mm-hmm. be doing other things, you know. But I missed a couple of weeks, and then one week I tuned in, there was this guy named Nick Camacho on. I still don't know. He's great. He's brilliant. He flies DC-3s, among other things. Where did he come from, and how did he become a part of the show? Well, he was just like, well, pretty much everybody else that is a host on the show. Um, He was a listener, and uh, he lives in Wichita, Kansas. And again, it was one of those things where he said, uh, well, I noticed that you, you know, you talk about having layovers in Wichita quite often because of the kind of era, the fleet that I was on uh, with Delta at the time, the Mad Dog, the MD-88 and the MD-90. Uh, we we fly to Wichita. That was uh, one of the uh, one of the layover destinations that uh, I really enjoyed. I, I love Kansas and uh, Wichita especially. And he said, I live in the Wichita area and, uh, you know, let's get together next time you're, you're here. You know, I'll, I'll, you talk about barbecue. You know, I talk about beer and barbecue and airplanes. I have to think of a B word to, to get the alliteration correct. But uh, anyway, he said, so let's, let's get together. And I went, okay. So I did that a couple of times uh, when I was in town. I would, uh, you know, ring him up and he'd pick me up from the hotel, take me to a barbecue joint or whatever. And uh, I learned, this is the... This is the really the best thing about, and you guys know this from doing your meetup um, at the uh, at my pizza place. How did you like my pizza place, by the way? Yeah, it was, it was good. pretty good. Yeah. Your pizza place is really uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, put a lot into that. Uh, so you get to learn a lot about the people that are listening to your show, and I guess that's one of the great things about podcasts is that you know it's 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 kind of a two-way thing it's a two-way communication a two-way street um and uh, it's fun for us podcasters to learn about our audience and uh, so i learned about about uh nick camacho and and his job in the aerospace industry and how he got involved with that and the fact that he flies a uh, beechcraft debonair uh, which he was uh, uh, renovating i guess is that the right word do you renovate an airplane um restore anyway 
restoring, rebuilding. Yeah. Rebuilding. And, uh, so, uh, and he's still in the process of that, uh, the engine part of it now, I believe. Uh, but, um, so I, one of those times after, uh, I don't know, several times, but, uh, I mentioned to him that, uh, that I was going to be recording the show. Uh, be, and I said, so before you come by to pick me up, if you, if it, if your schedule allows, you know, come by and you can, you can be a host, a guest host on the show. And just like with Steph, just like with Rick and, uh, not exactly like with Captain Nick, but the same sort of thing. And he said, okay. And so, you know, there we recorded a, um, episode with Nick Camacho sitting next to me in my hotel room studio. And I was, um, kind of struck by the fact that the way that the way he could contribute his knowledge base, uh, being in general aviation, being in the defense industry, being an engineer and, uh, at the time was not a, an AMP mechanic, but now is just his point of view was, and I thought that he was, he, uh, the way he engaged with everybody, uh, on the crew, uh, was, was good. And, uh, so we ended up inviting him to, uh, to be on our full-time roster. You know, and what I love about Nick is uh, he seems, you know, on the show anyway, so reserved, but every so often he comes out with a zinger that is just hysterical. I mean, he's really, you can tell he's, he's just brilliant. Yeah. He, and, and I need to encourage him to be, to be more forceful and, and jump in more and that kind of thing that he is a very quiet man, but very knowledgeable. He's got a great sense of humor. Obviously you have to have to uh, want to have anything to do with me or anybody else on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he's been a great addition to, uh, to the show. And then I've got to mention somebody else that you've already mentioned. And, uh, uh, I call her lovely Liz because she is in every way. She, she's absolutely fabulous with the day that I met captain Nick for the first time and took him out for his first kosher deli ever in New Jersey with his first officer. He was just on his way to a meetup in I think it was Detroit where he was going to photograph because Captain Nick is also a professional photographer and specifically does photos of pets and dogs. He was going to photograph Liz's dog. He either he was just going to or he just had, I can't remember. And that was the connection. And uh, and he he mentioned that to me. And then Liz became such a part of the show that you have a new producer. Yeah. So uh, again, a listener to the show. It was getting to the point in the show where a lot of the things involved with, and, and Brian, for sure, you understand this being a, a producer and Micah as well. Both of you understand this intimately, uh, but especially with a show that uh, has a lot of um, cogs, a lot of gears running and, uh, and, and the show is growing and it's uh, the, the time spent uh, after recording the show is starting to get longer and longer and longer. And it's just getting to the point where I felt, you know, it'd really be nice to have, it'd be really nice to have someone help out like yeah, an assistant. Have someone else do all this work. Well, not all of it, but uh, yeah. a good amount of it, uh, would be nice because like the stuff that, you know, that, that, uh, is, happens before the show, all the, the news items we talk about, all the feedback that uh, is selected for us to try to cover on the show, that sort of thing. Uh, I thought it would be really helpful to have somebody help me out with that. And um, I, so I, I considered, I don't remember exactly the process, but um, there were a couple of people that I was thinking of that were in our 
our closer group of of uh, folks uh, of listeners of the uh, in aviation podcasting, and uh, one of those was was Liz. And Liz is not; uh, she's the only one on our crew is, who is not a pilot. She's a, a an aviation enthusiast for sure, but she in her career. Uh, she uh, was in the banking financial industry, uh, nothing to do with aviation. She's just always had a keen interest uh, in aviation. She was a listener to the show. She sent feedback in. Uh, some, she sent in ideas for covering news articles, that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, okay, she's retired. That should mean that she has got a little extra time on her hands to help out. And she's definitely enthusiastic and all that kind of stuff. So I uh, asked if she would be interested in helping me with some of this stuff. And then she wholeheartedly agreed. And, uh, sadly she's probably looking back thinking, what was I thinking? Why? Why? That was, that was a crazy idea. <laughs> uh, but, uh, Liz is just, um, just so important to me because as I said, she does so much of the work I use. So it's, what's funny and interesting, uh, about Liz is, uh, that our two personalities couldn't be as far as organizational skills, couldn't be farther apart. She's she's the kid, you know, when was given the uh, uh, the assignment to do a book report that's due in, you know, six weeks, she would like start that afternoon. I was the kid that waited the night before and go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to read this book and do a book report <laughs> for tomorrow. Uh, so that's where I am on the spectrum. And so before Liz, I would just like, oh, okay, we're going to be recording the show tomorrow or maybe even, oh, we're going to be recording the show today. I guess I should look and see if there's anything to talk about in the news and see if we have any feedback to talk about. And uh, it was very unorganized. And uh, she came in and helped organize everything. In fact, she's, as I said, she's the opposite. I mean, before we're even finished recording a show, I think she's already lining up the, the news and feedback lineup for the next show. It's funny because she'll sometimes get like we're still four or five days away from recording the show and she's upset because uh, she doesn't think there's enough feedback. And I go, well, don't worry about it. We're going to get feedback and and we'll, you know, I said, even if we don't get any feedback, we'll just talk about some other things in the news. We'll just go to the aviation Herald website while we're recording the show live and just start picking things. And we, trust me, Liz, we can talk. (laughs) There's no shut. Like right now, what you're experiencing, experiencing dear listener, uh, this guy, can talk and talk. He'll never shut up. Yeah, that's true. That's a good trait to have as a podcaster. Yeah, and 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 Captain Nick is exactly the same way, and Doctor Steph is exactly the same way. And when yeah. you get Nick and 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 Rick and all together, this show could be a twelve-hour show. It could be, but thank goodness it's not because <laughs> I don't have enough time, even as a retired guy, to uh, spend doing all. Uh, people ask me how much time does it take to, re- you know, to to do the editing of the uh, uh, audio podcast, and I said, well, I said basically you can take whatever time it took to re- actually record the show, multiply that, minimum two, probably more likely about three times that amount. That's amount the amount of time that I'm spending doing all the editing for the darn thing and all the other things that are involved with. And I'm still doing all that because I really do. And it's a lot of work, but I really do enjoy the post editing process. And I enjoy uh, not so much enjoy the other things like doing the WordPress postings and, uh, and the, you know, uploading the file to the cert, you know, the, the server that uh, serves all these, uh, these big three hour long podcast files and that kind of thing. But yeah, there's a lot to it. There is a lot to it. And you talk about being able to do it in two or three times. Mine's actually an eight to one ratio. So for our hour long show, it takes me about eight additional hours to edit it. 
Well, I'm probably being, it's probably more than what I'm saying, but I don't want it to sound ridiculous, you know, to people <laughs> like, why would you spend so much? Because it's a labor of love. I'm not doing this for a living. You know, I, yep. um, uh, or I used to say that my compensation as an airline pilot was, you know, plenty enough to provide for my family and pay the bills and all the things that you're responsible for financially. But now, <laughs> now I'm retired and uh, my my uh, monthly income is, has been reduced pretty dramatically. And so I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe I'll, I'll start having to beg more for people to donate to our coffee fund. I'm not sure. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of times a big commitment. That's, you know, it's funny. Uh, it, we all know because we're all podcasters, um, and we know about the podcasting world and we hear about people, Hey, I'm going to start my own podcast. I'm like, okay. And I think the, I think I learned this from, from, uh, Cliff Ravenscraft, the, uh, podcast answer man, that, uh, if you start a podcast and you are able to record and publish, I think the number he used was seven, but if you can get that many in a row on a, in, consistently, uh, then there's a pretty darn good chance that you can continue on if you want to continue this podcasting mm-hmm. thing. But I think that uh, for most podcasters out there, they'll be gung-ho about doing it and then you know, they'll get one out. And then another, the next one, oh, it's a little bit more difficult than I thought. It's taking more time than the third one. Yeah, there are a lot of podcasts that never even make it to the third episode. And certainly most fail within the first six months. Yes. Either they lose interest, lose content, or just realize it's way more difficult than what they were expecting. And kind of like with this podcast, I had so many hopes and dreams on how it was going to be formatted and all the different ways of communicating, adding video to it. And then I tried it once and just said, nope, not for me. I'm not doing it. Way too much work. It is an incredible amount of work. Speaking of how this podcast is normally formatted, is this if this happens to be the first time you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> they're just like this every single no, no, one. No, this, this is this is not the normal format. This oh my is, god, they've stopped listening hours ago. Probably, probably, <laughs> but no, you know, because uh, we are such good friends, uh, you know, and, and Jeff and I have known each other for 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 a long time, and Brian and Jeff have known each other for a long time. You know, we're having a a conversation about some things that we know about, but we're just happen to be really comfortable together and enjoy company. And we, we don't have a chance to do this as often as we'd like. And we haven't even gotten to half the questions yet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The, yeah and what's missing is the beer actually, because even though it's before noon, I'm ready for one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> the good news is it's, it's, it's not before noon here on the East coast. So maybe we should take a break. <laughs> It's uh, definitely beer time, right, Micah? But yeah, I don't have any beer in my fridge because, as I said, I'm really trying to cut down on that. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not a young man anymore. Actually, Captain Jeff, because this is a good break point, yeah. I have a question and it involves your show because I know that we are really a family, as we've been talking about, and we all get along. We all have different shows that focus on different aspects of aviation. And I know you have promoted The Journey is the Reward on your show. Has anyone ever mentioned on the show what a crazy idea it was for me to complete my 3 million miles with United? And no's an acceptable answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, well, I can't really um, discuss, you know, on air with all the, uh, the things that the things that people said about, like, has this man completely lost his mind? <laughs> No, I, honestly, no, I don't think anybody, anybody okay. has, Yeah, but I, 
I have some questions um, about it, but uh, sure. I'm not sure. Would would this be a good time for that? Yeah, I think the first question was always, you know, have you always been a masochist, or is this something that's new <laughs> exactly. to your personality? <laughs> so, uh, what a what an amazingly lofty goal that you set for yourself and achieved, and I would think probably uh, less time than you thought it was going to take to achieve that goal. Yeah, it did turn out to be less. Now, the question that I have is that uh, this uh, 4K stat or 1K status? Yeah, 1K. Yeah. Why they call it 1K is really stupid when you have, anyway. Yeah, I know. It doesn't seem to, I'm thinking, yeah. how did they, that? well, that's a, that's a question I have. Why is it called 1K? I have no idea. Um, someone in the marketing department fell and hit their head. Uh, <laughs> right, because you, you get status when you're at. 25,000, 50,000, 75,000, and 100,000 miles. So they went from silver, gold, I forget what the, the one at 75,000 miles I added, and I always forget what that one is. And then they have 1K at 100,000 miles, and 1K is not 100,000. So it doesn't equate <laughs> to the printing industry. It doesn't equate to the aviation industry. I truly have no idea how they came up with 1K. Because the actual number of miles is 100,000. Oh, okay. That's how many you have to fly in order to, to get, get 1K there. status. Okay, okay. Yeah. But didn't you set a much higher goal? Well, I get 1K status for life after flying 3 million miles. Gotcha. So okay. I was about 280,000 miles short when, during COVID, I was over at a friend's house. We were talking about life goals and all, and I said, well, it's really unfortunate that I'm not going to be able to hit the 3 million mile mark because my work had really ceased or travel for work had ceased. And I'm like, yeah, I'm so close rounding up 300,000 miles. I'm so close, but yet I don't think I'm ever going to get there. And my friend said, well, why don't you just do it? I'm like, I don't have a good reason. Why not? And then I contacted Micah and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this and I want to document it, but I really don't want to do it alone. Would you be interested in being my co-pilot on this journey? And he crazily said yes. I'd set the goal of for 18 months to fly the 280,000 miles and did it in 13 months. So now I think I finally, it should have been something that the light bulb should have been illuminated a lot earlier above my head right now. Uh -huh. uh, so I guess I'm understanding now that getting continually having uh, 1K status, regardless of how much you fly now for the rest of your life. Correct. Gotcha. So if you just flew a thousand miles or didn't even fly anything, you still, next time you go fly, you still have that 1K status. Correct. That makes sense. And in the United program, I get to designate another person that has that status as well. Oh, nice. Yeah. And can you believe that even though I've been through all this with him, <laughs> 60 episodes of this show, Wait a minute. I'm not the designate. Can you believe You're that? You're telling me that Micah is not your companion for, for that status? I like Mike. I just don't like him that much. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know, Micah. I'd start looking for other podcasts. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and after this one, he just might. <laughs> so so let, 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 let's change the subject okay. completely, okay? Sure. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? <laughs> <laughs> now you're talking like an airline pilot. And speaking of talking like an airline pilot, you've been retired really now for a couple of months. What do you think about retirement? Do you miss flying? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you don't miss getting up at three thirty in the morning, but 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 are there any parts of it that uh, that that you're 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 feeling a little lamenting about, perhaps? 
there are times that I, I, I think, you know, I, I kind of miss the, um, you know, working with the other crew members, cabin crew and, and, uh, flight crew. Uh, and, uh, I also had some good friends, um, who worked, um, the gates, uh, gate agents that, uh, had a really tight friendship with, no, I want to say tight friendship, a working, uh, relationship with, it's not like we get together on our time off and, you know, you have work friends and you have personal friends and their work exactly. friends. But I, I, over the years, you know, when you do that, when you work at the same, basically the same workplace, uh, you know, I started and ended every single one of my trips in my 35 years, except for my first two months, which were uh, in New Orleans. Um, we had, yeah, we had a uh, New Orleans base uh, at Delta Airlines back uh, when I was hired in 19, uh, the end of 88. But, uh, so, you know, I've built up a lot of, uh, friendship and a lot of those friendships, um, have, you know, kind of disappeared because they retired years ago, you know, so it's just kind of a rolling kind of a work relationship kind of a thing that I, I kind of miss. Um, but, um, honestly, uh, the balance of things, I'm happy that I don't have to do it anymore. You know, I don't know if, and I, I really haven't shared this with anyone, um, the, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a great job being a captain, uh, for a major airline flying airliners that are just, you know, some of the best in the world and having hundreds of passengers, depending on the fleet, you know, the last fleet I've, I, uh, the airplane that I was flying was one of our smallest jets, uh, that we had at the, uh, mainline feet, 110 passengers. But, for most of my career, I was I was flying jets that had a capacity of 150 to 100 and you know 70 passengers, and then there was a short period of time I was a co-pilot on the uh, Lockheed TriStar. That thing could hold, I think, the Dash One 301, 302 passengers. Yeah. So you know, hundreds of passengers, um, and most of and, and working for Delta Airlines, especially the last couple of decades. Uh, especially the last decade, uh, the the people, the marketing people really know their stuff. They know how to make sure that there's a bottom in every seat on our jets. I mean, it was uh, highly unusual uh, I'd ever be operating a flight that wasn't almost completely filled up. Uh, and uh, it's it's a lot of responsibility, but it was just like, oh, this is this is a great job. I love it. And as long as I am um, I'm taking care of myself and doing whatever is necessary for my safety. All these people that are behind that door, uh, they're going to get there safely as well. Now that's a very simplistic way to look at that. Um, and I've always kind of, maybe it was a, a psychological thing for me to kind of not really dwell upon how much responsibility that I really had as being uh, the commander of every one of these flights. Uh, but now I'm able to look back at it and understand the, the gravity of the, the amount of responsibility that you have for each and every person that's sitting back in the back of that airplane. And it's more than just, oh yeah, well, if I'm, if I arrive safely, everybody behind me, the hundreds of passengers behind me are going to arrive safely too. Well, it's, it's actually a lot more than that. And, um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad I didn't really dwell on that while I was actively <laughs> uh, <laughs> commanding all these flights because you know it's it's um and as I said you you guys have probably talked to many uh, professional uh, aviators 
uh, especially you know aviators that as a routine thing carry um, the public um, I think that uh, they probably are like me and would kind of downplay uh, the, uh, the the heavy responsibility for safety that we have and uh, and it's and now that I can kind of take a couple of steps back and look back at it I, I realized that it was it was a lot and uh, anyway uh, I just want, wanted to share that. Do you actually miss the skill of flying or the act of flying? Um, or, or are you flying GA now? What, what is your flying career at this point? That's a good question. Um, a lot of people have said, well, and obviously then the, the next step, well, for a lot of us uh, would be to, um, you know, I can't fly uh, in the U.S., um, part 121 FAR part 121 airline scheduled airline service. Once I hit the uh, magic age of 65 years old, uh, do I think that, you know, 65, you know, when I turn 65, that I'm going to be a blithering idiot. No, I already am. <laughs> um, uh, you know, no, it's not, nothing's going to change. I mean, yeah, I think, you know, as you grow older, you know, uh, beyond 65 and you get into your seventies that your, your capacity is probably, dem- I'm, I've even noticed, I mean, to be honest with you in the last, um, the last year I've noticed that I, I, I'm not thinking quite as quickly as I used to be able to. Um, I, I have a lot of, I th- and I think what, uh, helps, uh, older people like me doing this job is the fact that I've got a lot of experience and experience is one of those things that you cannot downplay uh, experience. I might not be able to, you know, like the, the baseball player, I, can, I may not be able to throw the ball as fast um, or run as fast as I used to, but I, I have a lot of wisdom as far as the way the game is played, you know, so that, that compensates, I think to a certain extent. And, but I think, I think that, um, and I think it's all a personal thing because we all age uh, differently, uh, physically and mentally. Um, and I never ever thought that it was anything significant enough to uh, to stop doing what I was doing until they told me that you know the FAA said yeah, after this age you can't. Um, but um, but I did, let, let me just say I am not the same. Uh, as far as um, thinking skills as I was when I was in my thirties and forties and even fifties. And uh, so I, I can kind of see the wisdom in the FAA and other regulatory agencies around the world saying, you know what, you, we're going to have to set up an age at some point. Uh, and unless we can have some kind of a system that we can really accurately gauge um, people's um, uh, cognitive skills um, and in, in our world right now with, um, aviation medical examinations and that kind of thing, there really isn't, they're not there. They're not at a point where they can really effectively, um, gauge or analyze the con, uh, cognitive skills of, uh, people in, you know, in, in our age range. I'm sorry. And one could say the same for our presidential candidates as well. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but. I was going to say that there are several people that would just automate, like the the, the good-looking Captain Jeff. Uh, Jeff Felmuth is a, a friend of mine, and actually he started listening to the Catholic Pilot on episode one. He's got, got you yeah. guys beat. Um, and uh, he was an American Airlines pilot. He retired back in 2020, I believe, or 21. 
can't remember. Anyways, within the past couple of years, yeah, yeah. And uh, I was actually on the jump seat for his last two flights. Um, that was a lot of fun. And he, um, but he wasn't he wasn't ready to stop flying. He uh, got out, and then he started putting in. I guess he knew people at um, various corporate aviation fractional ownership kind of companies, and started flying business business jets and. Uh, and he's still enjoying doing that. I mean, I, he, he shares with me sometimes and uh, several of us who are close to him, his schedules. And I mean, gosh, I mean, those, those are not easy schedules, the kind of flying that he's doing. And I'm thinking, God bless him. You know, I'm so happy that he is happy doing that. But me, I look at that and go, oh my gosh, no, I'm, I'm ready to, to stop doing what I'm doing and, and do something a little bit different. And, um, and, and as far as GA flying, at one point I thought it'd be kind of cool to have like a Piper Cub. Oh, I forgot what you call those things, like a replica, but they're fully functional. Oh, airplanes. like a Super Cub, yeah, like a Super Cub, but like a, a like a Carbon Cub or Legacy Cub. I think there are companies that make these from scratch. They're not, you know, based. They are based on the Piper um, J3, uh, but they're they're brand new airplanes, and you know, some of them real made stick out of and rudder airplanes. Fiber. Oh yeah, yeah, and and the the reason why I said a few years back uh, there was this uh, full lunar uh, full solar eclipse. Um, I don't know, was it about five years ago, six years, seven? I don't know. It's been years. Um, and uh, Steph and I, Doctor Steph and I, were along with some other people uh, in the podcasting community uh, at a lake house on a lake in South Carolina, and Steph and I were in our little individual floating rafts. And, uh, and had our, you know, our, our solar glasses or whatever, you know, to protect our eyes. And we were out there and drinking a beer, of course. And I hear this sound and behind me and I'm going, what is this? Sounds like a little airplane motor. And, uh, I, I sure enough, I look and I, I'm not sure if it was a real J three cub on floats or a replica. And, uh, I thought, oh man, that is so cool. Guy landed in the lake, you know, right in the middle of the lake, probably the best spot to witness this um this full solar eclipse um but uh i thought yeah that that would be fun to because i've always had this idea that flying a seaplane or a or an airplane on with floats uh an amphibian uh would be a lot of fun uh but then after looking into it and seeing how expensive they are and how expensive the maintenance is and all that kind of stuff i'm like yeah i, I kind of talked myself out of out of doing that kind of flying you can always rent Exactly. And with, uh, with flying and boating and well, I can't think of anything else. Uh, they say it's better to rent than to buy. You mentioned flying, uh, in a jump seat with, uh, with Colonel Jeff on yeah. his last two flights. I was getting emails and messages from people and I don't know why they were writing to me saying, so when's Jeff's last flight? When are you going to be able to fly with him? But you decided not to go out with a big celebration and you sort of retired uh, a little bit before the, the exact date. What, uh, why did, why did you do that? This was a huge celebration we were thinking about. And Micah, the reason why everyone asked you is because you always know everything what's going on with every <laughs> podcast. That's the reason why. That is true. That is true. <laughs> He's the inside podcast insider. Yes. Um, so, and, and I should mention that Jeff's thing wasn't a big thing either um he there had were dinosaurs what he had dinosaurs no he didn't no nope. i thought that uh 
They had dinosaurs when I took my last um, Mad Dog flight in oh, Philadelphia. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. And he was there. Out. I could see yeah, how you could kind right. of uh, yeah. conflate the two. But um, no, uh, it's the only people that knew Jeff on his last two flights were Dr. Steph and myself. And he was flying his trip through Charlotte at the time, which is a big American Airlines hub. And uh, he said, and and his trip was not scheduled to end once he did the turnaround from Charlotte to Jacksonville and back to Charlotte. It was supposed to continue on back, I think, to Newark. Uh, but he said, no, these are going to be my last two flights. And, and uh, that's the way he did it. There was no big fire truck salute. There was no big... Um, yeah, but the people in Newark were really disappointed when they <laughs> yeah, had a fire truck. All the balloons and everything else. Yeah. You know, I don't know really what what had what actually did happen in Newark, but yeah. But um, why didn't you want all this? Well, I um, I think things would be different um, with if my personal life were different. Um, I um, I. You want us to cut this? Um, no, I, I, I'm happy to talk about it. I'm not happy, but I'll, um, I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, my personal life, my family life um, has changed pretty dramatically in the last few years. Uh, I went through a divorce a couple of years ago, and uh, it just things weren't um, as, as great as they were in you know, years past with that. And you know, you've, when you think of at least the way I think of going out with a bang in the, in the aviation world, you kind of expect to have your family with you on the airplane for your last flight or two flights and, and kind of be there for the big celebration and everything. And, uh, you know, my family wasn't, wasn't going to be there. You know, they could care less about it. And I, now I know people would say, well, wait a minute, Jeff, well, what about your, your podcasting family, your aviation. And because I absolutely would have flown in I know, on a flight. I know. A lot of people, a lot of yeah. people have asked me about that. So it's not just that. That's that's a part of the um equation. Um the other part of the equation was that I I know that people that know me would probably think, well, uh, no, I know you and that you're not really that guy. Uh but I don't really want a lot of attention paid to me, uh, and, you know, accomplishing, a. I mean, it was an accomplishment to, to, uh, to fly as many years as I did and having the experience uh, that I had in the air force first, and then the, uh, commercial airlines after, especially 35, you know, I was only expecting 30 years, uh, because when I was hired, uh, the maximum age was 60. So these last five years have felt like all bonus gravy for me, really. Yeah. It's like, Oh, okay. At first, I was thinking when they extended the age to sixty-five, I went, "Well, I'm not going to. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to retire at 60. And then, you know, you still have a your youngest child in college, a private school that's very expensive. And they go, "Yeah, kind of glad that I'm still working." <laughs> so, you know, these these extra years. Um, but um, so, you know, it's it uh, obviously it, it's a great accomplishment, and um, and I I think it would be a lot of fun to celebrate with my uh, aviation podcasting family uh, or, and even I have a family at the church. I, I, I like to sing. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot of singing on the weekends at several masses. And uh, that's just, you know, something that I do for my soul uh, as far as just good for my soul. I, I love doing it. I enjoy doing it. And I have a, a, a 
people there that are are close uh, friends like family. Uh, and I'm sure that they would all have wanted to be there as well. But I don't know. It's it's really hard for me to explain why I didn't want to be the guy with, you know, standing there with all the balloons and confetti and and the, the fire truck shooting the I'm thinking, no, it's been a good career. I just want to I just want to walk out the back door and hope that nobody notices I, I slipped out the back. Yeah, because it really is a contradiction because podcasters, I think in order to be a podcaster, you have to be a narcissist. I think you've kind of alluded to the fact that many captains or pilots are that way as well. And to not want that celebration or to be able to share it with other people is, I think, a contradiction. So. I don't know. I'm, yes. I, I'm I'm sort of sad that that you didn't do it because I absolutely would have done everything possible to be there. But I certainly respect your decision and um, you know how it happened. And it didn't really happen exactly the way I was expecting. I knew that I wanted to taper off my flying as I got closer to my retirement date. I fully expected to be flying until I started my terminal vacation, my last five weeks of vacation that I butted up against my actual retirement date of the day after Christmas. Um, but um, I actually flew my last flight um, in early August. And uh, for, for reasons that I don't want to go into any detail with, because it's, uh, it's something personal for me, um, I basically uh, was was not on flying status and it, and it had nothing to do with disciplinary action or anything else it was a a health uh, thing for me they figured out you were crazy yeah well that's <laughs> when they, they finally figured it out <laughs> jeff uh, we just want you to know that we yeah. think it would be best for <laughs> we're taking uh, the keys <laughs> a company uh, liability and all that that uh, you just kind of you just Stay over here on the side and uh, just smile, and uh, we'll continue to pay you until you retire. <laughs> okay. No, that's not exactly it. Um, close. Um, but uh, uh, I'm joking, of course. So again, it was a it was something that I was it very. It's funny, not funny. It's similar to the situation that Captain Nick found himself in yeah. uh, when he uh, flew his last trip. And thankfully, it worked out so beautifully for him because I think it did anyway. Uh, several of us from the aviation podcasting world, including uh, several of his co-hosts, including the producer Liz, uh, ended up going down to Miami because he had a very long uh, layover in Miami. And uh, we even had a meetup down there. And it was a, it was a really, really good time. Um, that happened to be his last trip, but that was not scheduled that way, right. scheduled. Uh, it, but it, he had an issue with his back and um, basically led to the prognosis that he wouldn't be able to re, uh, regain his, uh, his license, his, I mean, his uh, medical uh, to continue to fly on. So he ended up retiring about six months early. Uh, because of that. And he, so he looked back and went, okay, well, that was my last landing uh, when I landed the airplane in Miami. And, uh, and he said, if I'd known that, he said, I probably would have flown the flight back to, <laughs> to London. And, uh, you know, that in knowing full well, the impact and, and uh, uh, the importance of that last landing uh, would have been very special. And kind of the same way with me, when I flew my last landing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> 
I didn't know that that was my last landing as an airline pilot. And in a way, I'm kind of glad that I didn't know it because I would have been so focused on making sure that that thing was just going to be a roller, you know? I'm uh, that, sure it was a greaser because I've well, seen you land and you grease them all in. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but you if you need- did it like a naval aviator putting it down an aircraft carrier deck, that, yeah, that never something. gets old, by the way. I mean, hey, <laughs> out there, if you want to really impress a pilot, say, ah, Navy pilot, huh? Yeah, no, don't do that. It's not, it doesn't impress us at all. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was a bad landing. My first landing in the Boeing 717 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, right off of my initial operating experience, the uh, first time I was on my own as a captain on this particular jet, was Tulsa, Oklahoma. The winds were 50 knots out of the west. And uh, I learned very, very quickly uh, on that landing that uh, the and automatic north south runway. <laughs> well, they are mostly north south runways. They do have an east west for conditions like this, where you, they have such a strong wind. You remember it was right after COVID, and they had a most that airplane for for a long time had nothing but a bunch of seven American Airlines seven thirty sevens parked on it. Um, but they cleared out that for because of the strong winds, because uh, I think they were out of limits for the north south runways. So, I mean, this, uh, I came in and uh, didn't disconnect the auto throttle system because on this airplane, usually you leave the auto throttle system connected and uh, yeah, came in, started my normal flare height and uh, the automatic throttle started reducing to idle, which is not what you'd want to happen in this condition. And uh, it was a very firm touchdown let me just say that <laughs> and in fact somebody out there uh who listens to the to uh, the apg was actually on the flight and Ooh. um had as he walked off the airplane he uh, i think even before i was standing up to get because it took me a while to stand up my legs were shaking um uh, to stand in the door to say goodbye he yelled something like nice landing or something that was very sarcastic uh and he said captain jeff and i'm thinking now, somebody just referred to me as Captain Jeff. I think it's somebody that knows something about the podcast. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, this guy was was actually flying from Atlanta to Tulsa because his father was in the hospital on his last breath. Uh, and he needed to get to the hospital quickly before he passed away. And he was able to do that. He, he sent some feedback um, after all this, this horrible landing that I did. Anyway. So to contrast that landing with my actual last landing in the Boeing 717 at Tulsa, uh, yeah, you could say it was probably a, a, a beautiful landing. <laughs> so, but I, it was nothing, nothing extraordinary in my mind. But uh, at least I didn't prang it on like I did that first time. So, um, yeah. Hey, come on! You didn't bend the fuselage the first time, so I I consider no. that a successful landing. I do too. Yeah, <laughs> I, wa- I could walk away from it, and they could use the airplane again. It didn't require two or three weeks of, uh, repairs. Exactly. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of, I remember looking over at the first officer, good guy. And I said, uh, yeah, I said, um, probably should have not used the auto throttle system because yeah, I said, yeah, you probably, yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't have done that. Or you could like keep your hand up there. There are servos in the throttle quadrant that, you know, wouldn't try to retard the power to idle, but you can kind of just kind of force against it with your with your hand to to keep them from retarding to idle that was another way another technique that he uh, told me about and I went okay I'll keep that in mind next time I'm in this situation <laughs> uh, and that ha- and that happened a few times after that and uh but 
they weren't horrible crashes like that, like that landing. But uh, anyway, so let's look back over 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 thirty five years for a minute because yeah. there's been a lot of changes to the airline industry and to pilot requirements and and, and just flying in general. One one of the things that I think about right away, but I want to get what comes to mind for you in terms of changes, both good and bad. But when you first started, passengers were at times they could be invited to into the cockpit and 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 be with you and, and see what it's like to to look out from thirty thousand feet, uh, which is not allowed anymore. And a lot of our listeners might not even know that that was something that would happen at times. Were you able to do that? Do you miss that? I mean, what other? I'm trying to think of major changes that took place over those those 35 years that you were flying for Delta. Now that that was a change. I don't know at Delta when the op, standard operating procedure changed to not let us do that. Even before 9/11, I was hired in '88, started actively flying uh, in '89, and at that time. Uh, there was a prohibition to, you know, you, you can always before the flight and still can go up there and walk in the cockpit and look around and ask questions and that kind of thing. But once, um, you know, the, the flight back then when the flight was um, in the air, um, we couldn't uh, allow passengers to come up. Um, so that must have been a, a, a thing just for Delta or whatever company procedures were in effect at the time. The only time, however, I would, I will say, uh, that we did have an open door policy and during the flight have passengers and I'm going to use air quotes, but I mean, they were passengers, but they were professional baseball players or professional football players. And so when we, when we did charter flying back in the day before nine 11, um, yeah, we could keep the door open and people could come in and look around and ask questions. Now they couldn't, sit in our control seats, you know, while the airplane was in flight, uh, that was definitely against the rules, but they could, um, I still remember all the, all the Atlanta, Atlanta Braves baseball players. I, I did a lot of, um, Atlanta Braves baseball charters in the nineties when they were just super hot. Uh, they, they just, you know, they, they won more than they lost, of course. And they were in the playoffs. I forgot how many years, uh, and uh, the World Series uh, finally uh, won the World Series at some point in the 90s. I should know that. I don't. Um, anyway, uh, the 727 was the airplane I was flying at the time, and we did a lot of those uh, charters, sports charters, with that airplane. And uh, so had you know, um, what's his name, um, Steve Avery and uh, uh, John Smoltz, um, uh, among other you know professional baseball pitchers up there. You know really sincerely interested in what we were doing up there because a lot of them are pilots themselves. And, uh, so yeah, that was a, a big change for sure. Micah. Um, I do remember like flying out of, um, Fresno, California, again, back in the nineties and the seven twenty seven, And, uh, we wouldn't even go through, I, I'm not even sure if they had, did they even have security back then? Or if they did, yeah, they did have security. It was a non-functioning metal detector. Yeah, that's right. And I, what we would do is we'd walk up to the the, the uh, ticket counter and then we'd just step up, you know, that area where the uh, stainless steel and you put your bag down and they weigh your bag uh, before they, you know, you when you're checking your bag, uh, we'd walk over that thing in the counter and then go through the door behind the ticket counter. And there was kind of like a, 
uh, agent break room uh, back there. And then if you continued to walk through the area, there was a door that went out onto the flight line. And you'd, we just walked straight out to the jet, walked up the air stairs and uh, got on the airplane. No security whatsoever. I'm thinking, is this is this okay? I mean, I guess it was because uh, we did it all the time. And same thing with Las Vegas. The, uh, the van, uh, if you were going to lay over, you'd walk out the airplane down the jetway steps uh, and the van was like right there, plane side. And we'd throw our bags in the, in the van and the van would take us to the hotel and the same thing on the way back. Uh, they would drop us off right at the airplane. So we never had to go through security. So that security obviously is a big change in th- the way things were back 35 years ago and the way they are now. Absolutely. Micah and I were having a conversation the other day over the armed pilot program. I, I don't know what the official name is. Um, FDO, Flight uh, Federal Flight Deck Officer Program. Do you think this is a good idea, a bad idea? Is it necessary? What's your opinion on that? I think it was a good idea. Uh, there have been some issues with, with the program and individuals um, <laughs> trained uh, in, in the program. and. Uh, I actually am thinking of the guy who um, threatened the captain of a flight because the captain was uh, going to do a medical diversion. Not really clear whether or not they actually did the medical diversion or not, but he was threatened by his first officer who happened to be part of this federal flight deck officer program. Um, And I'm thinking, how did, and apparently he's had some issues also in uh, the Air Force Reserves uh, as well. Um, so uh, I don't know. Uh, but I think overall it's it's been a deterrent uh, to would-be um, uh, terrorists uh, doing what they did on 9-11, uh, in my opinion. Um, now, for me, uh, it was not um, a program that would have worked out well as my lovely uh, former wife told me or asked me actually when they were talking about uh, implementing this kind of new program she said you're not thinking about um, doing that thing where they where you carry a a pistol you know a firearm on the on the jet are you and i said well you know i hadn't really thought about it she said well she said you have a hard enough time keeping up with your wallet And I looked back at her and I thought, you know, she's right. <laughs> I, I, if I were a, um, in that program, I, I'm sure that I'd be one of the ones, and I'm sure it's happened, where you go, you get to the jet or whatever, and you go, hmm, what did I do with that guy? Yeah, wh- where'd it oh, go? Where did I put that thing? <laughs> yeah, so for me, I knew I was not going to participate in this program. Yeah, no, I believe there was one where the uh, the FFD actually uh, uh, left his sidearm on board, uh, if I remember correctly. I think that was a news story a few a few months ago. Yeah, I'm sure it's probably happened more than once, Micah. <laughs> yeah, but I think overall, you know, it um, it's one of those factors that uh, people can't always be sure. I mean, you know, like obviously it's confidential you know, what percentage of, um, active airline pilots are federal flight deck officers and how, you know, so what are the chances of encountering one, uh, in a, uh, on a cockpit crew, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a deterrent, just the, just the idea that somebody might up there might actually be packing, uh, you know, 
something. And, and uh, uh, you've got to really think twice about breaking into that cockpit because um, that might be you know, the end. And you had mentioned before that you were in the Air Force. So you did the transition from Air Force to being a commercial pilot. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming you went through weapons training when you were in the Air Force. So did you actually fly with a sidearm? I'm assuming you did, but it, it depends on when you're in the um in the military uh as far as when or what you may or may not do as far as carrying weapons or whatever. For me, um when I was in the US Air Force and flying the uh C141B Starlifter, a, a Lockheed uh, high-wing four-engine jet transport. Um, at that time, we were. It was kind of a period of peace, uh, relatively speaking, compared to uh, most of the other decades before and since. Uh, and uh, so there was no requirement for us to be armed. Um, now I think there there was a certain group of pilots in the various squadrons that would do uh, top secret kind of missions uh, they probably I don't know this or whether this mm-hmm. is true or not but they they may have been all checked out and and actually carried weapons but uh, as far as regular line flying or whatever we would call it back then in the US Air Force for normal missions that were not top secret missions uh, we never carried weapons um, but that may have changed I think it probably did change. Uh, in the 90s and on when we started getting involved in all these skirmishes and and uh, actions in the in the Middle East and that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know what the, the current status of all that was. But for me, and then of course, the other uh, the other balance of my time as a pilot in the Air Force was being a, a, an instructor pilot in uh, undergraduate pilot training. And uh, no, we didn't carry uh, weapons at all uh, for that. And how was it making the transition from flying in the military to flying commercial? For me, it was very easy. Um, I think partly because I had always wanted to be an airline pilot and fly in this world. And so in my mind, I was already, everything I was doing in the Air Force was kind of looking, how am I going to apply what I'm doing here in my career uh, after I get out of the Air Force, I I, I, ne- I didn't go in thinking I was going to be a career uh, Air Force officer, Air Force pilot. I just wanted to uh, serve some time and you know get the uh, experience necessary to get hired by a major airline. And you know, thankfully, that's what happened. It worked out. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, the other part of it is I flew uh, a mission on an airplane that was a crew airplane, a crude airplane, not crude, C-R-U-D-E, but C-R-E-W-E-D. Looking back on it now, it would be the other crude. Yeah, (laughs) it was a crude. (laughs) Well, yeah, in ways it was a little crude. Uh, But uh, being in that environment, so doing the mission that I was doing, flying the C-141 Starlifter, was essentially like flying in the airlines and the military, military airlines. Uh, I was based at Travis Air Force Base, and I think we were the only base uh, of starlifters that were not uh, airdrop qualified. So we, all the other bases around the country were air land, air drop. At Travis, it was just air land at the time, as I said, in the, in the early 80s. And so I never did any of those airdrop missions um, I just did, you know, cargo flying basically. Uh, and occasionally you'd have some passengers 
and they put pallets that had like airline seats on them for passengers. But that was a very uncommon thing. It was usually you go back and look at the back of the airplane. It was full of pallets, palletized cargo. Um, and, uh, and it was just, you know, from point A to point B and then, you know, point B to point C. And that was the kind of flying that we did. And, um, yeah. So, um, because I was in a crew environment, um, transitioning to the airline world was a piece of cake. I mean, that's, I was used to that kind of environment. So, you know, it used to be, there was a time when, uh, when most airline pilots came out of the military. And I think mm -hmm. that has, uh, changed considerably in, in, in current times. Yes. Uh, do you, uh, have you noticed a difference in the type of flying, the type of pilots that you're flying with in terms of the difference between military and civilian pilots? Another great question. Um, I think a lot of people kind of perceive that, um, well, uh, the, the military, um, experienced pilots would be better pilots than the ones that didn't have military experience. Well, that in my anecdotal experience is not true at all. I think I'll start off by saying training in the military is the best, especially the U S military is the best in the world, in my opinion. Um, the quality of graduates from undergraduate pilot training are top notch. There are basic requirements. Now, I don't know if, how this has changed over the years, and I'm sure it has. But back when I was in in the uh, in the early '80s, um, it was not a piece of cake. It was it was a it was a very very difficult uh, training environment that we went through, and. You know, the standard thing where you're sitting in a briefing room before you start your training and they say, you know, look to your left and look to your right. You know, you're, they're, they're not going to be there, blah, blah, blah. It was true. I mean, I think our uh, attrition rate was almost 50%. So it's a miracle that you passed. Oh, it is very much so. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, uh, I'll, I'll brag a little bit uh, on myself. I was a distinguished graduate uh, of my pilot training uh, class, and I was able to pick the airplane, the C-141 that I ended up flying uh, immediately thereafter. Um, although they ended up getting me anyway, uh, I thought I was coming back as an instructor pilot. And uh, they uh, said uh, a couple of years after flying the Starlifter, not so fast there. We're, uh, we want you to come back to be an instructor pilot. I went, oh, no. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, so it was a very demanding uh, training course, year-long. Um, so I guess my point is a, a military trained pilot to even make it through undergraduate pilot training is, you know, there's a, there's a bar here and it's, it's a, it's an above average pilot bar. So even the, the worst pilot in your UPT class is probably a pretty decent pilot. Uh, so there's, it's a known quantity and that's why the airlines loved, it. well, that's one reason why the airlines love military trained pilots. The other reason is that we were officers first and pilots second. So we were leaders. We understood leadership. We understood, uh, command structure. We understood, um, taking orders, uh, from people. So it was, uh, we were a very disciplined, skilled, known quantity. And, and they, I, for, I think for the most part still are coming out of the military services. Um, unfortunately over time with the, you know, the shortage of pilots, um, and, uh, the supply of pilots coming out of the military kind of weren't matching and they had to, uh, increase the, uh, percentage of pilots that were not military trained. And, um, so 
when I was hired, Micah, I'd say probably 90% of us in my new hire class at Delta back in December of 88 probably were, I, I may not be as much as this, but it seemed to me that nine out of 10 of us were military trained, had military backgrounds. Some were actually in the, on the front row because everything was based on your age. The older guys uh, were actually uh, had like full careers in the in the Navy and the mil- and the uh, Air Force, um, and uh, and then there were people like me that were in for you know seven years or eight years or ten years or whatever. Anyway, um, so very few people in my class were civilian trained pilots, uh, but then over time. That that percentage has um, has changed, and now I think I don't know the exact um, stats, but I would imagine that's pretty close to half and half. I would imagine maybe a little bit more military, and it, of course it depends on the airline as well. Uh, but at Delta, they've always um, really liked hiring former military pilots. And as far as your question, as far as competency and and um, you know skills and that sort of thing. I, um, ha- uh, thankfully I've never noticed, and I always make a, a point of not really asking the questions like before you even start your first flight with somebody that you've never met before. Oh, okay. What did you do before? Blah, blah, blah. You know, where you, and I, I don't, I try not to do that because I don't want to make any presuppositions about what I'm going to expect from this person as far as their performance. And, Honestly, I, I can't tell the difference between those who were in the military and those who weren't. And I think that on a scale of things, I mean, I, I've seen some average pilots from both military backgrounds and civilian backgrounds, and I've seen some amazing pilots from both sources. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Delta has always been one of those companies that has really tried hard to make sure that they get the best of the best. And, and I, I know it's, I, I'm probably biased, but, uh, I really do believe that, uh, they, they accomplish that the quality of pilots that I've flown with in my career. And, and recently I've been kind of concerned because, uh, they've had to lower standards a bit, um, in, in recent years because of this pilot shortage. And, uh, I'm thinking, and, and the airplane that I'm flying, I end up getting some of these, or I was flying, uh, I get some of these new hires that, um, you know, don't have the same kind of experience that I had. And, and I, I was kind of thinking, I'm eh, wondering what I'm getting into here. And I've been to, to, a to a person impressed with every single one that I've flown with. None of, I've never gone, wow, how in the world did they make it through the process? I can't believe that I'm sitting with this person because they're dangerous. You know, I've never, I've never felt that at all. They've always been, uh, they've always impressed me as far as their skills are concerned. Now, the world that they've grown up in is different than the world that I grew up in and the way they have their ideas and values are quite, can at times be quite different from the kind of values that I have being an old codger and growing up in the, you know, in the, in the time that I grew up. Uh, but that's a different subject. Well, actually, that brings up the next question, because, you know, you mentioned something that, you know, a lot of times you get into the left seat and your first officer shows up in the right seat. First time you've ever met, you might not have ever seen this person before. 
you take off, you know, you, you, you plan, you, you take off, you take off and you're now in cruise, which is a little bit more relaxing than say the takeoff or the landing. Mm-hmm. What do you guys talk about? And, and how do you do that? I mean, you're, you're an old codger with, with, you know, with your values and you got the, the, you're, you're in a fleet that's usually, you know, an entry level fleet in some regards, as you talked about. Uh, so you have oftentimes a, a, a much younger person with a completely different experience and background. What kind of conversation goes on and, 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 and how do you not get into, I mean, you could, there, people argue so much more these days. There's no much courtesy is not something that really exists in the same manner as it once did in the general population. So I'm kind of curious about what that's like once you're in cruise. One of the best things about being a captain, at least in my experience at Delta Airlines, is the fact that, and I'm sure this is true with every airline, you get to set the tone in the cockpit and you um don't necessarily have to state the rules but i think it's pretty clear to the person that you're occupying that cockpit with understands that we're not going to talk about politics we're not going to talk about religion uh we're not going to talk at least in my cockpit about union stuff because let me and which is kind of a combination of politics and religion <laughs> Uh, I actually made the mistake um, one time. As I get on the plane, I bring gifts to the flight attendants and the the flight deck crew. And I I was talking with the uh, pilots, and this was when the United contract negotiations were going on. I brought up something about the contract negotiation that it was you know going well or whatever. And oh boy, did I stir the the hornet's (laughs) nest with that! And it's like, okay, time to change the change the topic here. (laughs) Have a safe flight, guys. Yeah, don't kick me off the plane. <laughs> yeah. And the reason why I loved, well, several reasons, but one of the reasons I loved being the captain and setting the tone is that I experienced uh, the environment uh, in a completely different way when I was not the captain. When I was, uh, my first year, I was a flight engineer, which is the running the systems, the guy that's sitting sideways or a gal that's sitting sideways in the car. When I say guy, by the way, I mean guys and gals. And, but then for the next, I think next 10, nine, 10 years, I was a first officer. And so I got to spend a lot of time in cockpits with varied crew. And the times that I'd come home from a trip and my wife would look at me and she'd go, oh, bad trip, huh? And I said, well, it didn't have to be. We went to the most amazing cities in this great country and it was, you know, the flying was awesome. However, you know, these two knuckleheads I was with or this one knucklehead that I'm with, all you wanted to always argue about political stuff or religious stuff or whatever. And it didn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. There, I do remember a time and when I was early on a captain and we were having a great in-depth discussion about religion and I, and it was a positive discussion, but I got so involved in the conversation that at a certain point of the flight, I thought, what, like, I'm all, I almost like lost track of where I was that I had lots of people behind me, depending upon my focus and concentration on flying this airplane. And I, that kind of shook me and that made me realize, okay, 
this is not something I'm ever going to do again. I'm not going to have these kind of, after we get to the hotel and we go to the bar and have, or having a beer or two or enjoying dinner, that's the time to have these conversations in the cockpit is absolutely not the right time. And as I said, this conversation was not a negative uh, one where we were bashing heads and different philosophies, philosophies about things. It was just, I was so. It was intense intensely involved in my beliefs and, and all this that I thought, Oh my gosh, now I understand the wisdom of let's keep keeping all that. Up. And I've also carried, and you guys know this, I've carried also that over into the world of aviation podcasting. And I really try hard. And I think we do a good job of it is to keep uh, discussions about politics to keep discussions about religion. Now, of course, when I was doing the Catholic Pilot podcast, of course, there was some religion involved in that because that was sure. a whole pretense of the thing. But and I think that was my very first question to you as well. In, involved that, so absolutely makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's um, yeah. That, so to answer your question, Micah, to, in a very uh, long-winded way, uh, is that most of us are very similar people and we, a lot of similar interests, hobbies, that kind of thing. Uh, but for the most part, and I should say also that the most of my career since, well, basically since becoming a captain has been in narrow body airplanes and uh, short to medium range flights. So not, you know, like the longest time I'd be in cruise would be a couple of hours, you know, so they're not super long flights. So this could be, different on long haul or ultra long haul kind of flying. Uh, but, uh, most of the kind of flying that I'm doing, we're not up at cruise very long. And most of the people that I fly with, we'll talk about certain things for a little bit and then we'll just stop talking and then we'll be doing other things. We'll be you know, doing the radio calls and stuff like that, but there will be, uh, good periods of time where we're just not talking to each other. It's not because we don't want to talk to each other. It's just that, um, it's easier to focus on what we're doing, uh, flying the airplane, even if at a low workload time at cruise. Um, and it's just, I think also part of our personality. I mean, if you hang out with a friend, you might be out there doing some kind of an activity, but you're not talking the entire time. Uh, and on occasion, and I know you're probably thinking, well, Jeff, you must be the kind of guy that just won't shut up. But actually I, I am, you'd be surprised when I'm in the cockpit. I'm not talking and yakking and yakking like I have been for the last couple of hours on your podcast. I uh, am I'm pretty quiet, actually. And occasionally, you'll fly with somebody that just will not stop talking. And I've, I've told people about the fact that sometimes I'll be just looking out my left window, which is not is the opposite direction I'd be looking at if I were looking at my first officer and just roll my eyes and <laughs> mouth to myself. Will he ever shut <laughs> up? It's just like, that's not normal. That's extremely. Yeah. But as a captain, you could tell him just say, I know, but see, you know me, I'm not going to say, Hey, look, would you <laughs> shut up? But that's really what I want to say. But, and sadly, right. that's one of my, um, one of my failings or my, my, um, shortcomings as a, as a person is that I'll keep something inside and not express it, uh, unless it's something that just absolutely has to be said. So I'll just kind of suck it up and smile and sh nod my head and, and act like I'm actually involved in this conversation that this person's have. Now, thankfully, this is a very, very unusual thing or a very rare thing in my experience. It's just that, uh, yeah, every once in a while, every one in 
once one trip in every year or two, I'll fly. And I remember there's this guy. I love the guy to death. He's just such a great guy. So happy. And so, but he just constantly talks. And you, if you fly with any, if you meet any of your other friends or acquaintances that are also captains and, and then, you know, you just say, Oh yeah, there's a so-and-so. And you just kind of look at each other like, mm, yeah, you're like, he's a good guy. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Everyone he's a good guy. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, he won't shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But now with these relationships, you do develop friendships with coworkers and flight attendants. When you're doing a layover, do you end up going out to dinner with them? Do you socialize? Are you flight attendants and pilots in the same hotel when you do layovers? What's life mm-hmm. like on the road? Wow. That's a lot of uh, multifaceted uh, question and multifaceted answer. Um Again, this is based on my experience at Delta flying mostly narrow bodies. Um, I think in the in the long haul wide body world, uh, there's there's more of a chance that the, the entire crew is going to be together at the same hotel, um, you know, for the entire layover. Uh, the way the um, the work rigs are, the way that things are scheduled as far as flight attendants and pilots in the narrow body shorter haul world, domestic flying mostly is that um, it's optimized. And so because the pilots have a pilot contract at Delta, the flight attendants do not, uh, our you know, requirements for uh, staying in a, in a short layover hotel and a long layover hotel are different. Uh, ours is based on our contracted language and theirs is based on what the company thinks is best. And uh, so it's not unusual and you'd think this is crazy and I still think it's sort of crazy. You'd fly into, you'd be on a trip, you fly with this, the flight attendants, and then this is, everybody's going to their layover, but the pilots go to the hotel downtown and the flight attendants go to a hotel that's near the airport. I think if you asked, most of us would say, I want to stay near the airport too, because it's just, it's just tripped that 12 hour length of uh, layover. And, and sometimes our layover, uh, long layover hotel locations are half an hour drive away and that's cutting into your layover. And I'd just as soon be with the flight attendants at the short layover hotel. That's maybe 10 minutes away or five minutes away, or sometimes you could even walk from the airport terminal to the hotel, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, that's like the optimum because then you don't have to worry about the pickup time and you just show up to the airplane the next day. And that's the optimum situation, I think. So that's one reason why we don't always stay in the same hotels. And the next day we may end up being, you know, on the same exact flight heading back to Atlanta or wherever we're headed back to. So kind of strange. Um, And uh, the way things are optimized as well is that um, it's very unusual that you end up flying with the same cabin crew uh, that you uh, like, let's say you have three or four flights a day, you might fly two of them with one cabin crew. And then all of a sudden you're flying with another cabin crew for the next two or the next three. And uh, so that, again, that's Delta and the way in my my experience has, has worked out to be Uh, as far as getting together, socializing um, on layovers. um, I've always uh, enjoyed that aspect of the layover. And, and it it also depends on, uh, you know, if what time you're getting in on your layover, if it's a typical kind of trip that I like to fly where you're getting in midday, early afternoon, maybe even late afternoon, and you have the full night and then you're showing up early the next morning, it's very common for us to say, 
Hey, you know, you're going to get dinner. Yeah. What time? Yeah. Like five o'clock. I mean, it's always really early because the trips that I like to fly are super early get-ups in the morning. And, uh, so it's, it's, that's the normal thing. Now, sometimes I'll fly with somebody that, uh, yeah, I brought my own food. Okay. And, uh, and that's good. You know, I I don't mind spending time alone. Um, as far as flight attendants, if they happen to be laying over with us at the same hotel, um, it's not normal these days for the flight attendants, even if you invite them, Hey, we're going to get together at five o'clock to go and grab a bite to eat. You know, you're welcome to join us. And, um, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, you know, they, they don't show up. Um, they're either on their own meal plan and bringing their own food or, or they just don't want to hang around the pilots. I don't know, but, uh, it's just, um, uh, now if I go backwards in time, uh, in the nineties, uh, I was still doing narrow body flying, uh, mostly, uh, and, um, most of the time, if the flight attendants and the pilots showed up to the layover hotel at the same time and, and whether they were going out together the next morning or not, uh, didn't seem to matter. And you saw more of, you know, getting together with the cabin crew as well as the pilot crew. So the things have changed. Yeah, so it's changed over time. Yeah, I think that's interesting. It certainly seems like on many of the international flights that I've been on, the pilots and the flight attendants do hang out more. Probably yeah. because, at least on United, they will be at the same hotel and they'll have 24 or 48 hours together and they'll have activities. Some yeah. of them, like going to South Africa, it seemed like there was almost a routine where they would end up going to the same wineries or making the same hike or going to the same seafood restaurant or you know, just having that comfortable routine of things that they like to do. I think part of it also uh, is the duration of the layover, as you just mentioned, and also just the fact of being in a quote unquote foreign land away from the normal, your normal existence here in the United States. You kind of feel more likely to want to stay together as a group. I don't know if that's for safety or familiarity. Um, not sure what, but I did notice that the international flying, uh, that's definitely much, much more common for the entire group or many of the group. You're always going to probably have one or two that just aren't socially uh, engaged. Uh, but uh, And sometimes it's because they are not making a lot of money and they really can't afford to go out because, you know, the, if you're going to go out with the crew, they may end up going to these really nice restaurants that are not cheap. You know, and uh, especially the ones that are new hires, you know, you're, it's not unusual to see them not show up because they just can't afford to. You know, we've talked about a, a lot of the changes over the 35 years, uh, but uh, this is a uh, this is sort of a passenger focused podcast in many ways. Have mm-hmm. you seen a change in passengers? <laughs> oh, boy. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to hear your answer on that one, actually. I think a lot of my answer has to do with the fact that most of the flying that I've done at Delta uh, has been short haul, medium haul kind of flying. The smaller airplanes, uh, the small, the smaller, uh, the shorter, uh, or yeah, smaller market uh, cities that we're serving, uh, shorter flights, that kind of thing. Um, and I've been flying in uh, the early part of the day. And, uh, during the week, so not so much late afternoon evenings and not so much weekend flying. And you wouldn't think there would be a big difference in the, the makeup or demographic of the, of the, of the passengers, 
Uh, oh, I would. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so one of the reasons, and I said before, you know, I alluded to the fact that there were several reasons why I liked flying early in the day and during the week. Number one, the other, all the other job, job departments, uh, gate agents, ramp agents, ramp workers, working people work in the towers, working the not air, air traffic control towers, but our company, you know, um, ramp tower uh, personnel. Um, everybody that you encounter as an employee, fellow employees, they all seem to be people that have been around for a little while. They seem to be more professional. They seem to be happier people, um, maybe because they're senior enough to work this hour of the day uh, during the week and not on the weekend. I don't know. And uh, they were just great to work with and things just worked. You know, there, every now and then you'd have some kind of a hiccup here and there. But, you know, another reason for flying early in the day for me is the fact that you're usually starting off with a clean sheet. The airplane is, you know, not broken yet. <laughs> uh, the weather hasn't just fouled up everything uh, yet. And so it's just you're going to have, in my opinion, a better experience as a, an employee, especially as a pilot. And then occasionally I'd fly trips like later in the day, in the evening, and sometimes on the weekend. And usually this is when I was picking up some extra, what we call overtime flying. And that would always remind me why I liked flying early in the day during the week. And I haven't even mentioned passengers yet. I'm getting to that. The other people, you know, uh, interestingly, and I think that Brian, you'd understand this completely and you too, Micah, is that the people that you would end up having as passengers on your flights, especially at Delta, uh, were business people, whether they, and, and probably every single one of the people sitting in first class were business people and probably a big part of the people sitting in the back as well that just didn't quite have the same status as the person that snagged that first class seat. In other words, the, the travelers that you had with you on your, your flights were seasoned, and I don't necessarily mean old. I mean, they've been around. They've done this. They are professionals. They are, uh, you know, this is their transportation to get business done, and they, they know what's going on. They don't walk through the terminals, uh, you know, looking around and then just stopping in the middle of the flow of traffic. Um, <laughs> they, they yep. don't, uh, they, they have purpose. They have purpose. They know if they have seat 22 Charlie, they know exactly where that seat is and they don't take forever to get to that point in the back and they don't take forever and blocking the aisle to put their suitcase in the overhead bin. If they're carrying a suitcase with them or underneath the seat in front of, I mean, they just, it's just, Things work so much better with people that have that do this all the time. And in fact, I would imagine that a lot of the people that were passengers, business travelers in the back of the airplane probably spend more time on airplanes than I do. And I we really, really appreciated our business traveler people. Not to say that you people out there who are leisure travelers are are necessarily bad people. It's just that you just don't do it as much. So you don't know the routine and things don't work as smoothly usually. And then combine that with the war, the state of our society right now and a lack of the lack of just common courtesy uh manners uh i don't know how some of our, our cabin crew do it i mean i'm standing in the door saying goodbye to passengers 
getting off the airplane in recent years and like a good portion of them don't even don't even look at you uh, they're just their heads are down they just make that 90 degree left turn out the front door and don't say squat you're thanking them and 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 it's just like they don't they're not even acknowledging that you're even standing there saying goodbye to them um Whereas the people, the business travelers usually, you know, look you in the eye, you know, and, and they'll thank you for the safe travel mm-hmm. and all that. And, and it's appreciated. And we appreciate you. God, we really appreciate you. And, uh, it's, and I said, how do you, you know, in these conversations I have with flight attendants, I said, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you're back there doing your drinks and stuff like that, drink service or meal service. And, uh, to, are their manners as bad as they are when they're getting off the airplane? They go, Oh, that ain't, and that, that ain't nothing. Uh, these people have no manners whatsoever. And it just, just drives me nuts. And I think that was another one of the reasons in my last year uh, of flying, maybe the last six months, um, mostly where I just got to the point, I usually let that stuff just roll off my back. You know, like I didn't care who cares, you know, but I started to get to me. I'm thinking what these people are just so clueless about what is going on and so rude and so ill-mannered. And I, I, again, I never really let that get to me, but it just really did start to get to me uh, toward the end. And I couldn't wait to stop doing this for a living because I just wanted to get away from those, that the, the airport right now, Oh, I don't want to get anywhere near it and be around those other passengers. Sorry. I mean, I know that there are a lot of great people out there and people that don't misbehave like this, but the percent you're, you're definitely a, a minority out there. Can you share a story of either a really exceptional passenger or a really bad passenger that you had to deal with? And this kind of reminds me of the question that Well, I asked you a few years ago and just recently on the podcast with Captain Chris, I I mentioned it where, you know, I was on the flight to Singapore and I was asked to uh, deplane because of a misunderstanding at the gate. And I was really upset with a pilot for not coming back and dealing with the situation. And you explained to me your reasons why you would not do that. And I never thought of it from your perspective and really appreciated that. And let me just point out before you go any further, this is the story we got the negative feed that Max Trescott oh, got the negative yeah. feedback oh boy. about. <laughs> so so if you're listening and you're offended, it's I am really offended or leave us the negative feedback. Don't leave it for Max Trescott. Yeah, Max Trescott has nothing to do Or don't leave it on this. airline pilot guy either. <laughs> yeah. But, oh yeah, but, you can send it to us. We're, we, you know, we'll, we'll throw it away. No, but I'm just wondering if you can share any stories over the truly misbehaving passenger or the really exceptional passenger, something that sticks out in your mind. God has blessed me with several things, many things. Uh, But one of the things he blessed me with was never having to experience, especially as a captain, one of those situations where you have, and we've seen them all on TikTok and Instagram and YouTube of people behaving badly. Uh, I've never had to encounter any of this and I'll never, and I'll never have to encounter it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and, and and I guess that's because I've flown so little on Delta. Oh yeah, I know. That's uh thank, <laughs> thank you God for, for not making me a, a United pilot. No, I'm just kidding. I, I'm sure you were not, you're, you have no idea. Well, you do, Brian, you're, you're being uh, facetious. Of course. Uh, I do remember as a, I think I was a first officer at the time and some, and it was this person who had, um, issues, uh, like, um, mental psychological behavioral issues. It was, uh, he was put into a situation that he could not handle and it wasn't his fault. It was his disability. And, um, I, 
but they were the flight attendants were having some problems with this passenger and trying to explain that it might be best for them to take like the next flight because there they're going to be fewer passengers and a better environment for him and all that kind of stuff and and the captain had to go back and uh i think that uh, the kid and i say kid teenager big teenager um threw a punch and actually punched my captain <laughs> wow <laughs> and uh, needless to say that made the decision very very quickly that this this passenger and the passenger's parent were not going to be taken. And again, as I said, it wasn't just somebody that had bad manners or just was a bad person. It was because of their disability. Um, and I thought to myself at the time, I'm glad I didn't have to go back there to take care of this. The captain was a much larger man than, than I am. And, uh, and I think I'm hoping that that day doesn't come that I'm going to have to deal with something like this. And thankfully, as I said, I hadn't have had to, um, the, uh, but I was going to say the first thing and the thing that always pops into my head when I think about, um, one of the just best experiences with a passenger I've had, and, and it's kind of an unusual one, I think, because usually when you, um, fly with, um, celebrities they well i'm not saying usual but the, it's not an it's not unusual that they kind of think a lot of themselves and, and kind of behave in a kind of a i'm i'm special kind of a way and that's why this story is so unusual uh, because this celebrity uh, god rest his soul rest in peace uh, tim conway uh, was on a flight that we had, and this is back in the, again, back in the nineties, the seven twenty-seven. it was a great trip. It was a four day trip, uh, Atlanta to Salt Lake city, Salt Lake city to, uh, Calgary, Calgary to Edmonton, back to Calgary, back to Salt Lake city. And then I think eventually the flight continued. It was a, it was a direct, not a nonstop, but a direct flight. I think the terminology is, so it was the same flight number all the way to Los Angeles. And so Tim Conway was in Alberta, Canada for something um, and uh, was heading back to Los Angeles where he lived. And we had kind of a lot. We kind of got in early in Salt Lake City, same airplane, same flight number, no no requirement for passengers to deplane. Um, but we probably are going to be on the ground for an hour and a half or so. So it was going to be a while before they started reboarding. And he, and this is, uh, the time in history when frozen yogurt was like a new thing that everybody just couldn't get enough of. And every airport had, you know, like if the airport had a, I can't believe it's yogurt or whatever the TCBY, is that what the company was that it was yep. so popular? Um, I think they, uh, Salt Lake city had a TCBY, which was pretty new. And, uh, Tim Conway is like he's in the in the passenger compartment, just having a regular discussion with the flight attendants and the pilots, and and uh, he said, uh, or maybe it was before he had an interaction with us. Um, he asked them. He said, "I'm going to go off and kind of try out some of that frozen yogurt. Any, would you guys want anything?" And so he brought back for all the the four flight attendants, uh, you know, frozen yogurt from TCBY. And I thought, oh, that is, I mean. He's he's uh, he's being a servant. He's not being served by right. others. And uh, and it was just the most down to earth, 
pleasant, happy guy, passenger that I've met. And then he went on to, con- as we were, everybody was eating their um, frozen yogurt, he was talking about the fact that he wasn't actually involved. I don't know all the details now because it's been so many years, but he was on a flight that was a hijacking. And I, oh, I don't wow. remember all the details, but he had some, I don't know if he had something to do directly with the resolution of the, of the thing or not. But um, anyway, I remember him telling us about his experience on a, a flight that had happened, you know, 10, five, 10 years before. Um, anyway, that doesn't matter. Uh, the point of it is that this person who had in a lot of people's opinion, every right to be just pompous and don't talk to me kind of, you know, I need special, um, uh, special uh, attention and all that kind of stuff. No, he turned it around and was just the most down to earth guy that I, a passenger that I've met. So that's my good passenger story. Nice. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I used to play softball in the showbiz softball league and without mentioning any names, there were two famous people that played. Well, there were more than two famous people that played in the league, but there was just a contrast between these two. One of them after the game was over would go out for lunch and beer with everyone. And the other person got in their car and just went home. Mm-hmm. Did not want anything to do with us, although they were a pitcher, when they were pitching was absolutely hysterical. They entertained the crowd like crazy, mm-hmm. but just when it was over, was just done. And I that just left a real big impression upon me over how two famous people could respond so completely differently to celebrity. Mm-hmm. That was my story. But I'm wondering also if... I think I've met a lot of uh, podcast. You would think that a podcaster is a very outgoing, gregarious extrovert, uh, but and I I kind of am that in that category. Uh, but I've met most of the podcasters that I've met. You would never believe that in a, an environment with other people, especially people they don't know, they're very uncomfortable. They're introverts, and even famous people, I guess, can be introverted people. So I'm wondering if that might've yeah. been part of what that person's deal was, you know, he, when he was on stage right. or the pitcher and entertaining, yeah. that yeah. was, that was us in front of the microphone, uh, feeling completely comfortable. I mean, there could be thousands of people, millions of people listening to us. Um, and we don't care because we're in our element, but as soon as you back away and we have to actually interact with people on a personal level, um, I can still do that, but there's Mike, I think you understand too, or both of you yeah. have met people in the podcasting world are like that. It's just like, yeah, I, I, they're very uncomfortable being around groups of people. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's the way it is. I, I've, I've been fortunate. Yeah. I've worked with a lot of singer songwriters and some of them are, uh, you know, really outgoing folks that just love to be around the crowd and others are just really very, very introverted. Just the way it is. Oh, and at the time I, uh, I should tell you about the time I knocked over, uh, Pat Sajak. <laughs> I wonder Maybe what I happened should. to him. It was you that knocked him off. huh? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hurt him <laughs> to be clear, but I was going back to use the bathroom. And, uh, on, again, on the 727, most of my experiences, I think were on the 727. Um, and we were going from, uh, Los Angeles to Las Vegas and I in flight, 
uh, had to use the restroom. And um, as I was uh, coming out of the restroom, I guess he was standing like right in front of the door. <laughs> I <laughs> opened it very quickly and bam, I went, oh, sorry. I closed the door. And then I looked down. Now, I'm not a tall person. You know me. I am not a tall guy. I'm five foot eight, five nine. Well, probably more five eight now. Um, and uh, I was looking down at this man and I'm thinking, Wow, this is like a miniature person. Uh, but it's Pat Sajak. <laughs> it's amazing how many, if, I'm sure you've met, I know both of you have met celebrities and a lot of these male leading actors or big people and, you know, males in the, in the world uh, are not big people at all. Yeah. They have big heads, but they're not big people. They had to put Humphrey Bogart in a box for a lot of his uh, movie really? roles. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Like a Tom Cruise, I guess they say he's a he's a little guy. Don't talk about Tom Cruise; you can get sued. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> can we delete that? Sure, I'll I'll fix it in post. <laughs> oh, I don't envy you at all. I wanted to ask you a question about another flight experience that I had. Now, this one didn't involve passengers, but it had to do with the plane. At the last minute, we ended up swapping planes, and the plane was originally scheduled to go to Rome, so we were in Newark. It couldn't go to Rome for whatever reason. They ended up taking our plane. It's the same aircraft type. I was flying on a 787 to Los Angeles. When I was giving out my gifts at the beginning of the flight, talked with the pilots, and they said, well, we're waiting for a fuel truck because we need to offload some fuel because it's been fueled for Rome. We can't go there. We're going to land heavy in Los Angeles, I'm assuming, or even diverting. We would have been very heavy for, for landing for that. So they had to get rid of some fuel. And what I was surprised at is they said that because they had to offload the fuel, they had to destroy the fuel. They couldn't simply put it in another aircraft. So I was just wondering, is that a United policy? Is that a FAA policy? Do you... Have you ever been in a situation where they have to offload fuel and do you know what they do with it? I have been in situations where, you know, similar to what you just described, where you have too much and you just can't possibly fix it by shifting uh, cargo or taking cargo off or whatever that you just have to defuel the airplane. That's, I can count on one hand the number of times I've had to be defueled in 35 years. Um, and I have no idea. I, I, in fact, when you were just telling me the story, I'm thinking, what? <laughs> they they can't use the fuel again? That's, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's a United policy, if that's the, the fuel provider contractor's policy there, or if that's a universal thing. I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. The pilots actually theorized that it was about possible contamination because they didn't mm -hmm. know where the fuel had been that it would possibly this contaminated fuel could be mixed with good fuel. Therefore, it's a liability issue. So but that wasn't the reason for the plane swap, was it? No, I think okay. I'm assuming. And again, they didn't tell me, but I'm assuming that there was something on the aircraft going to Rome. They had a mechanical defect and they couldn't. It's a required component, right? And they, if right. they couldn't fix it, it was easier to swap aircraft than to yeah. cancel the flight. There are certain things that you can you can go without um, maintenance carryover item MCO uh, on a domestic operated flight, but uh, not an internationally operated flight. So, yeah. can you think of what one of those things might be? There are, um, I think, certain requirements for airplanes to have 
operational auxiliary power units for ETOPS, you know, extended uh, range operations, twin engine uh, operations. But I don't know the exact um, rules for that, or there might be some other component that is a maintenance carryover. Because of that, you have to have the auxiliary power unit operating or something, you know, something like that. Yeah, that would be an example of, I don't know exactly because it's been so many, many years since I've flown um, long haul uh, to, to know. Yeah, and I know the rules are, well, not the rules that are different, but the requirements are different for right. international flight versus domestic flight. And the airplane that I was flying on those ultra long hauls in the Air Force and in uh, and for Delta, the TriStar, all had more than two engines. So a uh, different rule set applied for uh, for those operations. Yeah. And I'm sure the fuel wasn't destroyed. I'm sure it was recycled into either kerosene or diesel or something like that. It just couldn't be used as uh, as a Jet A any longer, is my guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe somebody out there has knowledge of this. I certainly don't. Sounds like a question I should send into the Airline Pilot Guy show. Yeah, they probably know. Yeah, Actually, those guys know. Probably somebody know. like Rick or uh, or Nick Camacho yeah, would know. Those Maybe guys even would know, Nick, I'm uh, sure. Nick Anderson. Or he knows Captain a lot. Nick, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, Jeff, you said that uh, you've been uh, blessed to not have any uh, any any really terribly bad passenger experiences, and uh, and God has blessed us by giving us you as our friend and as the airline pilot guy. And uh, and for today, our guest on the journey is the reward. And yes, listeners, it's been a long show, but I hope you found that it's been worth every minute because it's certainly been worth every minute for us. Thank you so much. It's been you guys are such good friends. Uh, it's like just getting together and yakking for hours at a time, which actually it is <laughs> what we did. <laughs> I was going to say, that's exactly what this has been. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, it's always so nice um, to talk with you. And I, I do apologize to all of you listening. Uh, yes, it's my fault. I, you know, when you start asking me questions about things, I can just talk forever. And, uh, you know, that can be a good thing. And that can be, a, you could be like me in the cockpit flying with that first officer that wouldn't keep his mouth shut. Yeah, looking out the window right now, I'm sure you're doing and, and rolling your eyes. Uh, so I'm I'm sorry if you're doing that. That's <laughs> my, my bad. <laughs> anyway, thank you for inviting me. So, and if you are offended, please be offended to us. I am really offended at yahoo.com. Do not leave any negative feedback at the airline pilot guy. And certainly don't leave it for Max Trescott and Aviation News Talk. Oh, you can you can leave bad feedback with us if you want. But uh, yeah, don't do it with Max Trescott. He's a good guy. Absolutely. And Captain Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. And yeah, just hope that you figure out what it is exactly you want to do when you retire. And yeah, looking forward to the next meetup where I can actually see you face-to-face again instead of over a video call. Wait, we can talk for another hour on what I'm going to do in my uh, future. (laughs) (laughs) We'll save that for episode 61. So, Brian, if people did like the show, how can they get in touch with us? The best thing to do is send an email to brian at thejourneyistherewar.org. And if they want to support us, God knows why. Because there's, as Captain Jeff mentioned, there are there's certainly a lot of work to do and there are actually expenses in doing these podcasts. There's a donate tab on our website, thejourneyistherewar.org. They can click on the donate tab and make a financial contribution to the website. And all those funds go towards paying for the website. They do not go for my flights or upgrades or beer, unfortunately, 
or any of that. It only goes to the website or the production of the podcast. Although bear in mind, we will podcast for United Plus Points. So we will podcast for Plus Points. And if you have them, you can donate them to Brian and he'll be happy to use them for you. Absolutely. Because I do not like sitting at the back of the plane. The pointy end's a lot more fun, as Captain Jeff knows. So do we have any social media we want to point out to our listeners? We do. Listener Lou manages the social media because, well, I'm not a very social person. And people can get a hold of us on Twitter at TJIT Reward. On Instagram, it's Brian Global Traveler. And Facebook, it's Brian, the journey is the reward. And Micah, I believe you're still on X, aren't you? The social media platform, not the drug, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on the drug part, and I do have a lot of Xs, but uh, you can find me on, on X <laughs> or Twixter or, uh, or, or, or Zitter, whatever you want to call it. All and I am at. <laughs> I am at at Maine Fly. That's M A I N E, like the state, and fly like uh, Jeff used to fly a lot. He doesn't so much anymore. Not so much. Brian, do we have an update? Have you flown anywhere since the last show? No, unfortunately, I have not flown. It's been, geez, over a month now that I haven't flown. So my mileage standing currently is at 3,044,001 miles which means that I have only 955,999 miles to go for my 4 million lifetime global services status. But the next trip, you already have it somewhat scheduled, right? Uh, in April-ish, my neighbor still hasn't confirmed the dates with me, but uh, sometime in April, we are planning on going to Singapore. So yeah, I'm going to be leading a tour of one to Singapore, so it'll be great. Sounds good to me. Nice. So from Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Micah. And Jeff, do you want to say goodbye? And from Roswell, Georgia, this is Captain Jeff saying goodbye and have a great year. And this is your global traveler, Brian. Fly safely. And although we didn't really talk about Jeff's musicality, he did mention that he sings and he likes to sing. And he's an incredible trumpet player, but he has great musical taste and he loves music and he's a real spiritual guy. So I picked out for him, this is the New Grass Revival and you don't knock. So let's get started. Let me do that again. Our shows are other people. Are, like I said, yeah, they're very conversational. Yeah. Just like you guys are, okay. except that uh, we don't sound as professional and we, we fake that we're friends. Oh, that's not true at all. Micah. <laughs> you, he's, he's feigning modesty. That's true. We have a rough outline of a series of questions. All super easy. Because I didn't do any studying. <laughs> we didn't do any prep either. Those yeah. are always the best shows. <laughs> <laughs> really? I think so. Yeah, people should work in retail, almost like everyone should work in food service. I think it really would change the way they deal with people. Yes, I agree. I was a, a waiter for a while, and it's uh, it's not an easy job. I'm sorry, Mike. As usual, I talked over you. No, I said we don't want to waste Jeff's time. He's a busy guy. We, we, we should get the show on the road. Yeah, we, we have faces that were made for radio. At least I do. <laughs> oh, I do too. Yeah, and voices that were made for books. <laughs> 
first scary people in your head. <laughs> By the way, Captain Jeff, I would have thought you would have known how to get rid of negative reviews on iTunes or whatever, because of all the negative ones I've written <laughs> for your show. Well, yeah, I just have a, a, a set filter, a global filter, <laughs> anything from Brian Coleman. Pfft, don't even look at it. Automatically gets deleted. Trash. Okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. And I take that back. I'm going to do that all over again because I fouled that up. <laughs> <laughs> screwed it up again. <laughs> the joy of editing, as we all know. Sort of reminds me of a Steve Martin film. Which one's that? The Jerk. Are you talking about me again? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a film that couldn't come out today because do you remember it started off? Oh. I was born a oh, poor yes. black child. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So many of those movies that we thought were just hilarious and they actually are pretty hilarious uh in the 70s and 80s i mean i'd say 90 percent of them couldn't be released now oh no no i'm conflating them too it was the other guy <laughs> okay. the, the other guy's not going to be prosecuted thanks make some more work for me go ahead yeah there's a lot of this mix, mix mash is going to be a mess well, it's a short show it won't be a problem no, it's fine. I've I've, I've I've just one follow up comment. You always to that, do. And then, yeah, and well, I actually, and then and then I have my last question. Yeah, right. Oh boy, I'm wondering also, and that you don't have to put this in your in the show. And although we didn't really talk about Jeff's oh, wait, musical, wait, wait, wait. Why not? Let's have Captain Jeff say goodbye. Oh, okay. We've never done that before. Yeah, we haven't. No, we've never had anybody wanted to stick with us this long. Yeah, yeah, Mike, Mike, do a. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll yeah. do, I'll, I'll do uh, something. And again, another song that I've never heard of. The what? <laughs> <laughs> Which is normally what it is. <laughs> you'll, you'll really, I, I really think you will love this song, Jeff. It's called You Don't Knock, and it's the New Grass Revival. For many, many years, I couldn't stand bluegrass or country or anything else. And now I, I love it. I don't know why. My taste has changed. And Western? Do you like Western as well or just country? Mostly, uh, what's the difference? <laughs> I'm just being an ass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, there probably is a delineation and difference. I just don't know what that is. I don't, I've, al I've always liked saying that. <laughs> well, that's a good one. And you usually get the response that you got from me. Like, <laughs> well, you know, no, because Western is horrible. It's crap. I mean, people that like Western. Captain Jeff. You can, you know what? You can call me, you can just call me Jeff if you'd like. I friends. can't. I can't. My 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 parents raised me to a point where if someone earned a title, they're deserving of being called. And we have a lot of family friends that are medical mm -hmm. professionals, and I end up calling them doctor as well. Okay. Brian's mom kept telling me, call me Dolores, call me Dolores. And I kept saying, oh, of course, Mrs. Coleman, I'll be happy to call you Dolores. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just the way I was raised. Gotcha. All right. All it's right. It, it, it if when I do, I'll have had to have made a conscious effort to just call you Jeff because it's it just doesn't come out that well, way. Well, I completely understand, Mr. Coleman. Exactly. <laughs> no, Mr. Coleman's my father. Don't no, don't <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I haven't met him. Hey, thanks for wasting your afternoon with us, really. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I can't think of a better way to spend my afternoon. Seriously. So, wow, you need to get some hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get some, <laughs> I get, I need to get some mental, uh, help. That's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Do you better not put that in the show? No, that, that will be kill cut. you. I kill you. That will be cut. <laughs> but You're anyway. going to make me search for it now. But. <laughs>
Oh boy. 